understand the game. And that's the general game behind everything. When you're going from a materialist perspective, understand that they are losing. If they weren't losing, they wouldn't be so obvious. Okay? So understand you are winning and they are losing. And because they're losing, they have to use heavy-handed tactics, like any dictator. Force it on people. Force it on people. But that forcing demolishes your credibility because you don't have to force something that's actually good for people. You can only force something that's bad for people. Okay? <laughs> so here's where economy comes in full force. Unplug from them. Refuse. Anytime you feel yourself feeling fear, that's their currency. What is the opposite of that in this new emerging spiritual economy? Courage. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is talking with Zeus Yamianis, PhD. Zeus is an economist blogger, futurist, and author of Transforming Economy from Corrupted Capitalism to Connected Communities. He is a performance educator with expertise in philosophy and cultural foundations of education. His blog, Citizen Zeus, focuses on learning to transform, especially in the areas of economics, education, and spirituality. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. We hope you enjoy and learn from Paul and Zeus as they talk about money facts and fallacies. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have a guest I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a long time, and he was gracious enough to join us. His name is Zeus Yamianis. And I first learned about Zeus watching Regina Meredith's show, Open Minds. And I think it was probably well over a year ago that I saw Zeus with Regina for the first time. And I was immediately struck by his depth of wisdom and knowledge and breadth of wisdom and knowledge as well. And I found his interview captivating. But what really got me was fairly recently, I watched an interview with Regina and Zeus and Zeus was talking about the financial issues of the world. And that's something I've been looking into for quite a while. And I've actually had personal conversations with experts in finance, elite traders, people that deal in the markets a lot. And I couldn't really get any information that was any more reassuring than this. Each time I was told, nobody knows what the hell is going on. Break your investments up into at least four areas so that if any one or two collapses, you're not left with nothing. And so without elaborating more on what they told me to do, I was having that in my mind as I listened to Zeus talk to Regina about the financial issues of the world. And I found what Zeus shared to be the most comprehensive, complete explanation I've heard yet. But more importantly, Zeus gave a lot of really practical solutions and they were spiritually grounded, which is extremely rare for anyone that knows much about finances. So Zeus is here with us today. The title of our podcast today is Money, Facts, and Fallacies. So Zeus, welcome. Thank you very much, Paul. Very, very happy to be with you. And I'm grateful that you are willing to donate some time to me and the audience because I think, as you know, the issues that we're going to talk about are very confusing to people. Very few people have enough knowledge about the 
real inner workings of the finance world to really know what's going on. And even people that I've talked to, as I said, that make a lot of money in the market all express to me that nobody really knows what's going on. Um, because I was really inquiring about what should I do because of all this talk about collapsing the money system and a one digital currency. And, and, you know, nobody wants to be all of a sudden go to get money out of the bank and have no money. And so when I listened to your presentation with Regina, I felt, okay, I've, I've got to get Zeus on the show so that we can get some common sense grounding from someone that really knows what they're doing. To begin with, Zeus, just for the audience, could you please share an overview of your background and your expertise? Because I'd love the audience to get a grasp of your living philosophy and understand where your perspectives come from as a foundation. Because these topics, as you know, if a person doesn't really get a sense of the credibility or the philosophy of the person, then they can't really get a handle on why they say the things that they do. Yeah. I think um, I think my, my my greatest expertise is my is my ability to connect dots across disciplines, and that's where my PhD came from. It was a, a PhD in cultural foundations of education, um, which it delved into the philosophy, anthropology, sociology, psychology, history, um, and philosophy of education. And what I learned in that was basically how the human mind works. Now, I have an undergraduate degree in biology and which I did a, uh, took engineering series, physics, math, and I worked in a physiological chemistry lab. <laughs> so I have a, a real comfort with technical language, both scientific and mathematical. And I can read any economics paper and any paper on COVID or anything and have knowledge of what they're actually saying without intimidation. But what I found in my culture as an acad academician for a while, I was a teacher educator for five years, and I did research and teaching in the university setting, was that most of this specialism and jargon associated with it is meant to confuse and balkanize people's holistic grasp of what fundamental underlying laws or breakings of laws are happening within the economic system. And they're breathtakingly simple if you can get through the haze of the jargon, specialism, and fragmentation. And that's what I did in my PhD. I, I did it on, it was on self-esteem and self-worth and understanding a relational basis for that. I took that research into the economic realm to understand what are the, rel what are the relationships being formed here and ideas of relationships. And what I found was that economy, at least late capitalism, is set up to simply benefit overwhelmingly a controlling ruling elite and then put all the liability off on the public. Privatize gains, publicize liabilities, concentrate wealth. And what's happened, and maybe that's confusing your audience and a lot of these experts that you're coming into contact with, is they're still assuming the fundamentals apply. They've been taught, even economists have been taught, there are certain fundamental rules of supply and demand, right? There are certain fundamental rules of scarcity and abundance, and they have a direct relationship on pricing and supplies. 
That's no longer the case. We have an inflationary spiral right now that is almost completely attributable not to supply chain problems, but to monopolization and price fixing and price gouging. That's already been shown to be the case. We do not have a market system, free or otherwise. We don't have anything approximating that because the fundamentals have been in interrupted by a certain kind of cancer. And in my book, Transforming Economy, one of my chapters says what to do when the system has cancer. And this was written, oh, about 12, year, uh, you know, 12 to 10 to 12 years ago. And it's more apl applicable today than it ever was. And so what happens in a cancer in the body is you have the replication and concentration and uh, monopolization of the body's resources to serve a unregulated, fast, fast-growing mass of cells. That if not put in check, if the immune system doesn't come in in the form of real regulation, in the form of real health and healthful response. And you know this, Paul, when, one of the best things to do when you have cancer is to, is to fast, right? Yeah. And what does that fasting do? It takes the glucose out of your system and it starves the cancer, right? Yep. So in my article, you know, un uh, plugging into little everything and unplugging from big everything, it's very much like taking a fast when your body has cancer. It's saying, what are the ways in which I personally and we as groups from the bottom up are allowing ourselves to be overtaken? And then, you know, there are practical ways that we can concretely unplug and or fast from this kind of system. Now, the problem from the outset, though, is the confusion. And I hope we can clear some of that confusion up right now. The fundamentals, again, do not apply, okay? There is the rules that are set for the little guy, and then the rules set for the big guy. When the big guys fail, the little guy bails them out, even if they created the failure. And when the, and when the little guy fails, he's on his own. A great example was this was supplied in my book. I, the mortgage, the National Mortgage Brokers Association, I think that was the name of them, during the uh, <clears throat> housing <laughs> collapse uh, in uh, 2007, 2008, uh, you know, there was a huge bubble then, too, um, defaulted on their mortgage <laughs> of $175 million as they are absolutely telling everybody else the mortgage is a honor-bound legal contract that everyone must complete. And when asked about this hypocrisy and contradiction, they said, well, business is business. <laughs> so you see what they're saying here. Business allows us to be corporate raiders, to gouge the environment, to, to use tax loopholes, to offshore all our profits, to basically be cancers and parasites. And you all, you little guys, no, you need to follow the rules, you know, because you're not business, you know. Now, Paul, you have a business. You're incorporated, I assume, or at least you have some aspect that's incorporated. So you can say, no, well, I am a business. Well, then they would say, nope, you're not a big enough business or an influ influential enough player. You have to be with the little guys. And so, you know, if they want to put it that way, where it's heads I wins, tails you lose then we have to start to think in fundamentally different ways. I think many of your audience and many people out there are confused both because value seems to be all over the place. Traditional things that go different places are, it's not following that. It's just not following basic fundamental rules. 
So they're like, okay, what's going on here? When are we gonna it, it, when are we gonna reach equilibrium again? And when are things gonna go back to the normal? And I don't think they are. You know, cancer is not normal. What's happening to the economy right now is not normal. What we need to think about is how to analyze this and how to create a healthy, vigorous, and uncompromising approach with it. You don't compromise with cancer and you don't compromise with this system. Now, you may have to make certain day-to-day compromises just because the system is as it is, you know, but I, I think the more intriguing question is, what, how can we see the system? How can we analyze it? What's really going on behind the scenes? You know, that's contrasting what the image is up front and what you've been taught in your economics classes. And then knowing that those other things are happening behind the propaganda, the real things, what can we do with that knowledge? And in any issue you put up, there's a, an official propaganda front, the stuff taught in schools. There's the stuff that's really happening behind the scenes. <laughs> and there's this, in, in recognizing that thing behind the scenes is not conspiracy theory. It's oftentimes you can just look online and you can confirm it as actual fact. So, Paul, I would, you know, maybe later on in this, because you have your own agenda and notes, but I'd like to do almost a speed dating version where you're like, well, here's an issue. How are they presenting it? What's really going on? <laughs> and how can we practically address those issues? So I, I look forward to that uh, later on, perhaps. But um, that's the basic background. I'm, I'm happy to have you go uh, share what you feel is pertinent. I, I think, one, you know, you have some great articles. You briefly mentioned there. Um, I have two in my hands, plugging into small everything, waking up. Uh, wake up and smell the three C's, community cash, coin, and coffee is optional. That's always good. Uh, which, interestingly, my research showed that uh, three things that never uh, stop selling well in a depression are coffee, white flour, and white sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and alcohol. <laughs> and alcohol, yes, of course. Funny that, eh? Yeah. And then you have fighting and winning against big everything. And, and so I, I look through these articles and I really think they're full of very, very important information. Where can people find these articles and, and your other articles? Um, you can find some of my commentary on citizenshoots.com, but most of the articles upon which my book was based are under Charles Smith's of2minds.com. Of2minds, O-F-T-W-O. M-I-N-D-S dot com. If you type that in and then you type a few keywords into a Google search, it will usually come up. So just type those titles in, it will usually come up. Yeah, great. You know, what, there's a bunch of questions I want to ask. You, you know, I, I just referenced your your 10 shocking practices in the U.S. global, well, excuse me, that's another article that you, you your article, 10 shocking practices in the U.S. global economy, I, I read and was very revealing. Um, what, what I'd love it if you can do is share some history on the um, and educate us on the history of money and markets and what has and hasn't worked and why that is. Just maybe so we can sort of see where did we come from to get here. You know, one of the things that I found shocking is I studied Adam Smith's autobiography or it was either an autobiography or a biography, I can't remember. But for those of you who don't know, he's considered the first economist. And 
he warned that any time uh, large businesses or, or, or companies or corporations back in the 1700s, I don't know if they use the word corporation, but um, he mentioned how every time he went to big business meetings, the only agenda amongst the business leaders was to see how to get more money out of people with no concern for the effects that it had on their life. And in his biography, he warned that we have to keep big business out of government. And he described exactly what would happen, which is exactly what is happening. And I tell people, we don't have a White House, we have a corporate headquarters. And so we really, we don't have a government by the people for the people. That's an illusion. And, and uh, you know, anybody that looks at our president who can't even string two sentences together and really is just a, a puppet for, for fascism. Um, should be aware to see that. But I thought it would be good. Maybe I'll let you decide how much you want to include. But I think pretending we all are just getting a basic lesson from you on money markets, I'd love it if you just share what what the what was the intention, what worked, and, and how did that lead to what we're at now? And one of the things that I found shocking in your interview with Regina was was when you described what's really happening right now? Like why are some of these markets just blowing right up to the ceiling? And it's ultimately, as you know, just a handful of multi, multi-billionaires getting richer and richer and richer. And it's creating this illusion in the market that the market's doing well. So uh, in your explanation, I'd really love it if you could bring us from, you know, what markets are, how they work and what's not working and what's going on now. And, and, why is it that these markets are doing what they're doing? Because I thought that was fascinating. You're the first person that ever made any sense of that for me. Well, I mean, in, in general, uh, capitalism touts itself. Again, this is the presentation, the propaganda. Okay, we're going to go with that first, and then we're going to go with what's really happening behind that. It touts itself as a way, as a market economy, ostensibly free enterprise market economy, that allows for people to contribute according to their talents and their desire to work, the so-called meritocracy, and come up with ideas and implement them using some kind of best practices in which their products, their ideas, the way that they, something that they have to offer into the world accrues some kind of value and can be exchanged and distributed with other people. Now, that's done through a monetary system, that's done through advertisement, that's even done through things like social media. And the idea is that if everybody does that, then, then we have a kind of flowering of, of, of a million ideas and a million ways. And, and that through this process of exchange, the more vital ones, the ones that provide more immediate value for people begin to rise to the top like a viral video, perhaps, perhaps very similar to that. And that those that didn't would, would fall away and that would create a vigor within the population, right? And so the idea was a little bit um, modeled on social Darwinism. It was a survival of the fittest. You can see that in a, in a nasty way. You can see that in a good way. You know, good ideas should rise to the top and bad ideas should fall away. But we've had an inversion of that. <laughs> bad management, bad ideas, oppressive, really bad you know, practices, failing, you know, failing, I don't... Failing vaccines, and I'll just say it right out. I don't, I don't know, Paul, if you're trying to get this on YouTube, because if you say anything like that, sometimes it can do it. But obviously, things that are not working and things that are working, um, whether they're cancer treatments, 
or you know vaccine uh, uh, supplements or something that that have scientific proof behind them are either being suppressed or sidelined. So we have an inversion of that, and that's exactly what happens in cancer, right? Health, healthy, growing, vital cells, a good, healthy, functioning immune system are being sidelined and pushed aside to make way for a kind of pernicious hypergrowth uh, by people who are actually not pr producing the best ideas and not producing the best products. Now, it was if you look at the history of the economy, we were up to the mid-1800s an agrarian economy, okay? Literacy mostly came through attention to the Bible, at least in Western civilizations, after Gutenberg invented <laughs> inventing press and so forth. And, and education was mostly distributed. Um, and so what you had was a kind of almost necessary libertarianism, a kind of frontier or, or kind of country-like economy in the United States. As cities began to form, and they, you know, all the way back to the Renaissance, they began to form guilds and tradespeople and, and specialties and precursors to professional classes, mostly tradesmen back then and merchants. Then what you have is a, an opportunity that begins to come up. It's a very interesting opportunity. It simply put it as this. I can either be a creator of value or I can manipulate the creation of value for my profit. Okay. Right. Bill Gates style. Yes. <laughs> so the guildsmen, the tradesmen, to a certain degree, the merchants even, were creating value through the direct creation of something that someone wants or something that someone needs either some way to ship something or something to offer something, some craft, whatever. And then came in the bankers and then came in the politicians. They began to notice that if you could create rules and regulations that benefited a few people at the expense of the many, and if, you know, there was once a scam where people created a computer program that would slice fractions of a penny off, and then flow all those into a bank account, and they made millions off of it, <laughs> okay? The same thing was happening with these kinds of systems. They said, wait a minute, if we slice just a teeny bit off of all this exchange that's happening here, and we, we, we flow it to government that we control, we flow it to corporations, we flow it to, you know, especially if you have monopolies, then you could just price fix, then all of a sudden, the cancer started to take root. And the cancer was simply this. I don't create value, I exploit value, right? And if the person that exploits value, just like a cancer cell that exploits the resources of your body, has no limitations and begins to capture the immune system or the regulatory mechanisms of society, then you have essentially uncontrolled cancer, right? It's also very much akin to a parasite infection. And... You know, one of the definitions of cancer that I've read several holistic physicians use is that cancer cells do not see themselves as part of a community. Right. So they, they're kind of like gangsters in the sense that they take over the host but kill the rest of the cells because it ultimately kills the host. And, and most parasites actually will, will, will try not to kill the host, but they will just deplete all its resources until you know, it's a slow death. So I think really we, we could legitimately use the definition of cancer and parasites, but really what the, the 
the best metaphor I have for what I see going on is that we are in the midst of a bunch of pirates that have entered the ship we call home, whether it be our country or other countries, because the pirates are now invading the whole globe. And they're really just behaving like pirates. They're just taking anything and everything they want, imposing their own rules and forcing other people to comply. And, and you know, we'll get to how they're rigging the markets. But, you know, one of the things that concerns me is very few people. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I've talked about these issues from COVID to many of these other issues that are relevant right now. <clears throat> One of the most common answers I get from people, sometimes shockingly, is I don't want to hear about it. I just want to live my life. And I'm like, how can you, like, if I told you that somebody was going around in the neighborhood raping children and you had children, would you say, I don't want to care, I don't care about it. I just want to live my life. Or would you be more concerned? It's almost as though the health and vitality of the average person has become so low, they can't really think outside of the sphere of themselves. And as long as they've, you know, got some food to put on the table and some water in the tap, it's as though they want to bury their head in the sand and pretend none of this stuff's going on. And I, I think that's part of the cancer too. I think that they've been, um, progressively bled of their vitality and their awareness and their self-esteem to the point where they're willing to just lay over and play dead and watch the pirates run amok. Yeah, I think through our school system, through the increasing sophistication of manipulation techniques and media, there has emerged, especially in an information-rich environment, a very effective, simple tactic. Actually, Trump perfected this. I'm not a fan of Trump. I'm not a fan of Biden. They're both I I'm think. not a fan of any of them. I'm I think not it's a all fan of a bullshit. single one. They've all been step servants, including Obama, Clinton, and it goes back um, to the to the ruling agenda. Uh, but um, the idea is to 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 overwhelm people's minds with information so it shuts down. And and Trump would do that. Create a crisis per day that would overtake the crisis of the previous day. So there was never any accountability. And Biden, well, geez, he's even, he's even worse. You know, he just keeps pounding people away with with this intransigent incompetence, and people are like, "I just can't deal with this guy's voice and his presence and his idiot decision making." Time after time, I'm going to live my own life. So all these are different tactics that allow a person to say, "Listen, it's too complicating. It's too overwhelming. And even if I was able to kind of get into the weeds and figure out what's going on, I don't have a lot of power to change it. So, you know, and a lot of you saw this happening with the, with the QAnon movement. You know, there's, there was a lot of false information that was put out there about, you know, pedophiles and all these sorts of things. And people got amassed around it and didn't have evidence. So then after a while, if you don't have evidence about something or you feel like you've been lied to, then you don't know who to believe. And it just adds more to the complexity. So, you know, even if there's grain of truth, it's hard to sort out the true conspiracies versus the ones that are disinformation, right? That may have actually been propagated by the very people trying to pull the strings. So the question then is, how do you separate the two of those out? And how do you simplify it so that the information doesn't overwhelm you? And how do you decide what it is that you as an individual can do. That's why I think your your two articles, you know, plugging into small everything, I think is a solution anybody can participate in. And and you know, I won't sidetrack us by telling us t 
telling what we're doing, but um, if it comes up later, we can talk about it. But I, I think that there is a lot we can do. And, and when you look at, if you take humanity and you say, just like a human being is a collection of cells, there's different numbers out there. Some say 50 trillion, some say 100 trillion, whatever. But if you say, okay, hum humanity is a being and each of us is a cell in that being, if we don't start being proactive, then, then really then the, the being of humanity begins to die. And, and so I, I think that people need to really wake up to the fact that the parasites are draining the life right out of everything. And, and the history and, you know, the, the, the to, 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 to really point to the fallacy of it all. One of the things that irks me to the core is when I hear Klaus Schwab saying, you will own nothing and be happy. And, and that the great reset is to protect the environment. I'm like, wait a minute. If you follow the money to who's involved in the Great Reset, they own Exxon. They own all the corporations that are creating the greenhouse effect. And I just saw a report on children's health defense showing there's 400 new fracking, drilling, and coal-based and atomic-based energy plants in process right now. Well, shit, why are you doing that when we got free energy technology that's been suppressed for 60-plus years? I mean, they have all the solutions. I mean, so, so this parasite is willing to kill the host. Meanwhile, they're building rockets to get to some space station somewhere else so they can destroy another freaking planet, which, which I, I, so the whole point is, uh, I think people really tired or not, it's time to wake up and participate because if what keeps, if, if what's happening now keeps going, it's going to reach it's going to reach a place that's so terminal that here's a prediction. I just saw an article also on Children's Health Defense announcing that there's now been a 300% increase in suicides in the military since the beginning of COVID. So if you've got a 300% increase in suicides among soldiers that are trained to go into battle because they think it's futile, then the the, the future for most people is they're going to come to a place. In fact, Rudolf Steiner said he predicted in about 19, early 1900s. He said, now this is his prediction, but it makes a point. He said, in the future, there will be a third world war. United States will no longer be a superpower. It will either be China or India that becomes the world leader. And Americans or he, I think he said people in the West will find the conditions of living so harsh that they would rather commit suicide than live. I think that was quite a prediction. Yeah, I think that the prediction is bearing out in the sense that, especially young people, a lot of them don't see the point. They, they see a future that is bleak, somewhat nihilistic. They see a nihilistic global uh, coordination of, of, of a kind of uh, almost necrophilic philosophy governing things, and they don't want to contribute to that. I think that's why the soldiers are committing suicide. They realize they're not defending honor, home, heart, and country anymore. What they're doing is they're, they're defending Raytheon, you know, <laughs> or they're, they're, they're using their bodies as fodders for Raytheon's uh, profits. 
what they're finding out is that these skirmishes are proxy wars created as distractions with, again, their bodies as fodder for some kind of uh, global chess match that's meant to, again, make the rich, rich richer and more powerful. And you saw that with Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum things. They're basically saying, and here's the temptation, the, the devil as it were, right? It's saying, if you give up your freedom, your sovereignty, to us, we'll take care of you. Or will they ever take care of you? <laughs> like give you the business, take care of you. And, and, and you won't have to worry about it. But here's the problem with that. Their promises to allow for a kind of unconscious or ignorant comfort are no longer working. When you listen to them, you act, your life actually gets palpably worse on the practical level to say nothing of this metaphysical and spiritual and emotional level. And you get more screwed and you're put into more risk, not less. So I, I just to make a joke about this. I said, you can pay, pay me to kiss your ass, right? Or you don't pay me and I don't kiss your ass. Under no circumstances will I pay you to kiss your ass. <laughs> and, right. And that's yes. exactly, their, their ego is so amazingly huge right now that they literally think it's an honor for us to pay them to kiss their ass. And it's that- sickening. There's a saying I teach all of my students. The pain is seldom where the actual problem is. For example, I've seen many cases of rotator cuff problems that wouldn't heal even after surgery, but what most doctors and therapists overlook is that the right shoulder is under influence from the liver and the left shoulder the stomach. Once we apply the principles of detoxification, support digestion, and clear parasites, presto, shoulders start healing and working beautifully again. If you learn to see people holistically, like I teach my students in Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 1, you begin to see the true source of our illnesses and injuries. HLC 1 teaches you many essential approaches to health and well-being, such as how to assess what key body systems are under too much stress and how to restore balance, the importance of identifying a realistic dream goal or objective that inspires each individual to stick to their healing program and make the short and long-term changes that are necessary, my universally applicable 1-2-3-4 formula for assessing and correcting challenges, how to breathe optimally to enhance energy levels and mental clarity, how to use gentle movements to work in and enhance life force energy and support optimal immune function, how the function and health of the soil that food is grown in influences all systems of the body, including our mental-emotional stability, and much more. HLC1 is just a small part of what we teach our Czech Academy students, our education system for elite trainers and health professionals. Gavin Jennings and I designed the academy to take you from wherever you are right now, even if you have no fitness or health education, to being one of the best holistic health and performance professionals on this planet. And as a Czech Academy student, you'll be able to help a lot of people reach their health goals in ways you never imagined. There is, in my opinion, nothing more rewarding and meaningful in life than helping other people look, feel, and live better. We are now accepting applications into the Czech Academy, so whether you're wanting to change your career or add a truly effective new dimension to your current skill set, now is the time to apply. Go to chekinstitute.com forward slash L number 4D Academy. That's checkinstitute.com forward slash L4D Academy. Let's make the world a better place together. It used to be where you could get that gold retirement watch after 40 years of slavery 
selling yourself, selling your life, your soul to the production and concentration of all your sweat and effort to a very few hands to a corporation. And now they promise that nobody believes it. That's why there's a labor shortage. <laughs> the game has been, the mask has been turned, it kind of ripped aside. There is no meritocracy. The stupid rise, the manipulative, the craven, and the very, very low people of low moral fiber are the ones winning in this current system. And so that even though it, it, it's been the worst that it ever has been, going back to the history, it's gone from concentration, mechanization in the late 1800s to a spate of kind of progressive reform where child labor was gotten rid of. You know, you had you reduced the work week. You had unions that started to come in and so forth. Believe me, that took a long time, too. The U.S. government was on the side of corporations and robber barons way back in the late 1800s. They even used the U.S. Army to kill striking workers. People don't understand that. There was never a time in this history in which the government wasn't captured by big, moneyed, powerful interests. But it just began to get, and, and then it looked like it moderated. It looked like you had the unions. And you looked, you had, they had a broad middle class. You had people generally participating in the stock market. And the stock market fulfilled fundamentals. If the stock market fell, gold would go up and the dollar would go up, right? And, and vice versa. You know, there'd be shorts for people with overvalued stocks. And then people would actually use those valuations, say these are overvalued. And then people would say, well, now we're going to sell them. And then the price would go down. Now, none of that's the case. In that interview that I had with Regina, everything's going up because they're just printing money so that the, the elites, the billionaires never lose. And in fact, they had an unprecedented transfer of wealth in the first few months of the pandemic. Something on the order of $643 billion, almost three quarters of a trillion dollars went into the hands of the smallest of the small, a fraction of a 1% of people. Their weapons are fear, confusion, <laughs> um, uh, uh, getting you to get in on the greed. A lot of people's retirements are, are tied to a, a stratospherically inflated and artificially held up stock market. They're like, hey, you want a retirement? Jump on board. And people do. And it goes on and on and on. What we got to be, begin to do is to unplug from this. Uh, for me and Regina, when it comes to just straight up investment, you are correct. There isn't any really good place to put your money right now, except those three C's from what I can see. And the most important of them is community. What are the other two? Cash and coin. Uh, cash right. being just regular cash. The American dollar is actually doing better now, even though it's being printed like mad. Now there's some threat that's going to move into alternative currency or global currency. So, you know, you can't just have everything in cash these days. And then the last is coin, right? Coin, coin could be something like cryptocurrency. Um, you know, it could be gold and silver, material, physical gold and silver. And we, we went ahead and invested in that. In fact, I think pretty much, honestly, Paul, the only portable uh, investment that works, because even if you have land, Land should be a wonderful investment, but they can tax you to the hilt on that land. Yes, right? they do. <laughs> I'm, I'm in California, believe me. Yes, I know. exactly. <laughs> you know, and even with Prop 13 and everything, forget about it. So when India, they were trying to tax gold, but they wouldn't tax jewelry. 
So everybody just made sure their gold was jewelry and they couldn't do it. So there are ways to rebel against this. The another thing I like about physical gold and silver, and I've, and I've been on that for some time, is that it has historic value. You know, it has practical value. It's, it's concrete. It's not virtual like virtual currency, which is really getting beat to crap right now. Um, and it has a history behind it that's not simply just hype. Right. You know, it's it, tangible. It, it's a tangible good. It is. And, and other tangible and goods include things like a tangible trade skill. You can, you can import, if, you, if you're a decent plumber, if you're a decent, you know, steam fitter, whatever it happens to be, there'll be demand for that because people actually have to live. Now, if you happen to be a paper pusher, a bureaucrat, nobody needs you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we, my my I, my golden idea, and I'm, I'm jumping back into the history here. So we had that sort of golden era of the middle class. We had World War II ending, the GI Bill, a lot of supports. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, for all his problems, he did say he welcomes the hatred of the rich, even though he himself was a rich person. And he did create Social Security and some government programs that helped to lift certain people out of poverty, even though they were from the top down. And then that basically collapsed. All of that. Nixon took gold, uh, uh, the American dollar off gold. They went into Reagan. There was insane deregulation. And basically what it said was the one thing that capitalism and Adam Smith absolutely said would be the death of capitalism. And it has killed capitalism. I've said it already. It said capitalism is dead and capitalism killed it is monopoly. As soon as you get concentrations of wealth that creates asymmetric leverage at scale, especially if it involves psychological manipulation like these social media companies and, and control over the information that people even can get, then there almost is no way to break over that through that, through a governmental mechanism, through electoral mechanisms and so forth. You now have to start to try to assemble a grassroots approach. Now, Paul, this is where I really appreciate what you're doing. One of the most fundamental things you can do from a grassroots approach is to make sure that you are spiritually, physically, emotionally, and mentally clear and healthy. You have to exercise, get out in nature, speak with other people, do your research. And when they have mass mandates and other things that the research doesn't support, refuse to do it. Nonviolent civil disobedience has been the only thing that has ever worked in the last 150 years. And the more the people do nonviolent civil disobedience, and one of the best ways to rebel, I call it positive subversion or being a positive rebel, is to make sure your body is as healthy as it can be, your mind is as healthy as it can be, your soul and your spirit is as healthy as, as it can be, and your intuition, your feelings, and your emotions are as healthy as they can be. When you look at the word responsibility, it means response ability. And if you're not a healthy person and you don't live in ways that are supportive of the environment, then you are by definition diminishing your own response ability. And so you become really, you put handcuffs on yourself. You, you know, you don't have the energy to respond to any kind of a crisis, be it a family crisis, a personal crisis, 
or contribute to a social movement for the betterment of the whole. And, and one of the th things I wrote down, I wanted to stick into the conversation just as a caveat, is that I have a question for you. You seem to understand the mindset of the evil genius as well. And one of the questions that I keep asking myself is, you know, I can I can find the greed in me if I look into my shadow. I, I can look, I can I can honestly find all the things I hate about the people that we're talking about at the top. It's just that I'm aware of them, so I say, ah, oh, there's that greed. It's just like you know, look, I'm a I've got two beautiful wives. I don't need any more sex. But the male in me sees a beautiful woman and wants to pounce on her and make love to her, and and so. You know, I, I think of the kind of the, 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 I forgot the name of them, the, the, the animal with the man's head on it. You know? uh, yeah, the Minotaur. Minotaur, right. So the Minotaur symbolizes the human consciousness engaging its animal body. So as a 60 year old man, it's a lot easier to say, oh, good, that, that shows me that I'm still young inside, but I don't need to act on it, you know, and I don't need to act on, the desire to punch somebody in the face when they're driving me nuts or whatever else. But when I look at the people that are, you know, at the top of this game that are behind all the things we're talking about, I ask this question, don't they realize that they're utterly destroying their environment? They're, they're creating a situation in the world that's so unhealthy. I wonder where do they think their children are going to be? Where do they think they're going to be? Do they actually think they're just going to build fortresses and live in this protected environment where, and everyone else is just going to be starving and dying in the streets? Because Zeus, what I see happening is kind of trippy because if you've seen the movie Hunger Games, it looks like they're pushing us right into a recapitulation of that movie. Yeah, that's, that's where the murder-suicide is going. I mean, that's what cancer and parasite does when it overtakes the body. It commits murder-suicide. You know, and you're saying, well, don't they have any empathy for their own kids? And the answer is no. You know, look at Trump himself. <laughs> he doesn't care about his kids. He cares about himself. Biden, I mean, I don't even know where his head's at, so it's hard to say. Um, but when you get to a certain uh, level of privilege and status, and you have gotten there by reducing every single person you've taken advantage of to an object in your world, right? Then you're doing the exact opposite of what you're doing, self-reflecting. I have greed in me. I have these vulnerabilities in me. That makes you smart. That makes you aware. And that allows those things not to take you over. They have the opposite. They think that by dint of their power and privilege, they have no problems. They have nothing to investigate and they have no responsibility to any other people, even their own families. Yeah. They say, it's I'm sad. creating wealth. I'm creating power and everyone's benefiting from it because I'm such an amazing God. Demigod. I think one of the, <laughs> the, I, 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 I had heard about George Soros, but I'd never really seen. So I started snooping around. And I came across some video footage of him and it just shocked me. I'm like, my God, this is the epitome of a man who has zero empathy and really only cares about complete conquer and destruction. He is like 
a, a gangster dictator. And, you know, I, I read the book and, and uh, I read portions of it, but I watched the, the documentary, um, Naomi Klein, um, Shock Doctrine. And, you know, she lays the whole model out. And when you, if you see the movie Shock Doctrine, you see their history of how they do this. And it's just bloodbaths everywhere. And, and, and the problem is they profitize natural disaster. They profitize the greenhouse effect. They profitize war. They profitize death. You know, it, it, I don't know. I, I guess one of the things that concerns me is that you know, our justice system and our military is, is supposed to be designed to keep those people off the street for the protection of the people. But here they are running around in the government on the street. I mean, the fact that Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci are not in a maximum security prison right now and everybody involved with this, you know, that as an ex 82nd Airborne Division paratrooper shocks me to the very core. And I'll have to be dead honest. If I was 25, 6, or 7 right now, and I was the same guy I was then, I would have rounded up a few of my friends from Delta Force and Navy <laughs> SEALs and the Recon Rangers, and I would have said, we've got work to do to protect our country, and I would have gone out and taken the garbage out. But as a 60-year-old man that's more spiritually developed, I've come to the realization that fighting fire with fire just makes more fire. But I'll tell you what, I, it, it, I have to really work to hold the dragon back because I am very concerned about the future of the planet and the children. And it, it really brings me into a spiritual inner um, tug of war quite often. And I think that's where we need to go. And that's our next movement of growth, both economically and spiritually in America in particular. We're such an individualistic, competitive culture. We've been designed, we've been propagandized in that direction. But if we can go past these left, right, center kind of divides and realize that our interest from the grassroots up is far, far more important and greater. And if we don't allow ourselves to get distracted, let me give you a case example of this, okay? And a little bit of a history lesson politically. At basis, there has always been a Jeffersonian libertarian spirit in this country of self-sufficiency, of community, of contribution, of excellence, of performance, okay? That, that's sort of the anti-federalist tradition, right? <laughs> the federalist <laughs> tradition, exemplified by Hamilton, basically wanted to consolidate this country for some upper level purpose that was supposedly higher than all these little guys doing whatever they wanted, okay? And it's been an unsteady conversation between the two of them. They both have some legitimate say. There's some things that need to happen at the higher level, right? national defense being one of them, if, if that's required. But then if that turns into war profiteering, which just has ha happened recently, 40 billion going to Ukraine for no reason at all, then we see the problem with that. If we just have balkanized, libertarian-minded people saying, you know, good fences make good neighbors, then it's very hard to create community. So what we need to do is to, from the bottom up, through nonviolent civil disobedience and particip civic participation, create new mechanisms. Now, what do those new mechanisms look like? Well, first of all, we can draw upon the tradition. <clears throat> the conservative, I, I like to call myself a third old school conservative, a third old school liberal, and a third old school progressive. Okay, <laughs> what did those, each one of those traditions offer that's critical for today that we need to bring together and that can easily bring us across lines? 
that conservatism, faith, family, community, responsibility, along with that accountability, small business, non-entanglement with foreign wars and affairs, and so forth, virtue, right, character, these are wisdom, these are all absolutely essential conservative characters that need to be brought forward now, okay? And they're completely compatible with the best of old school liberal and progressive. Old school liberal basically says, concern for the least of these. Don't let anyone fall through the cracks, right? If someone is suffering, someone is not doing well, we need to come together to help, all right? In fact, I would, I would say that the best of the old traditions would be characterized if there were virtues, courage for the conservative, compassion for the liberal, and creativity for the progressive, right? These are the old school notions. So the liberal was good at that. FDR tried to set up programs so that the progressives were the ones that helped to get rid of slavery, helped the women to get the right to vote, and so forth and so on. Trying to push participation, especially from the ground up, forward so people have a voice, so they can express themselves. Where First Amendment rights actually matter, where free and informed consent actually matters. That's an actual old school progressive, you know, core value. Now, what's happened to the new school? The new school progressive value is forcing vaccines on people without free informed consent. The new school conservative is the exact opposite of old school conservative, right? It's about yeah. dominance rather than about character, right? And the neoliberal is now about victimization, right? Yeah, that's rather than too. compassion. And the neo-progressive is now about homogenization and political correctness and throwing boutique issues like gender-free bathrooms while you actually let the real people suffer. No attention. They, they talk about trans all the time, commercials, this and that. I'm like, which one of you are, is, is, is addressing the extraordinary rate of suicide of trans people after they've gotten their operations? Where are, we, where are you if you really care about these people? Or are you only about yourself? Are you doing on the micro level what those Bill Gateses and those Soroses are doing at the macro level? Making your own little kingdom in your mind where you're the hero and you only need to have symbolic participation and like buttons, but you're never ever going to get off your ass, go out there and help somebody else and suffer with them and help them solve their problems by getting heart to heart together and putting something into the world that isn't there. That's what we need to do going forward. And if you are doing that, Paul, I'm trying to do that. And I'm finding very, very unlikely allies, supposedly unlikely. I live in a fairly conservative uh, community, but we are banding. We banded to successfully get rid of mask mandates in our school before the state mandate kind of elapsed. We brought the science forward. We hit it on all sides. <laughs> we said, we're not going to put up with this. And they wanted to continue it, but they couldn't because of the force of what we were doing. So we helped create free and informed consent through saying no, nonviolent civil disobedience, and saying we're going to walk. And what stopped the LA school district from imposing vaccine mandates on kids? 34,000 parents said we're taking our kids out of the school. And then they're like, oh, uh, we were studying this a little longer. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I bet. We have the power. They need our creative energy. As much as Marx is maligned, especially Marxists, 
completely delegitimize anything that Mark's ever said by the way they're acting. But the one thing he said that was true was basically that capitalist, that exploiter needs your creative energy and your productive energy. They can't do it themselves. They are a parasite on that. Now, <laughs> what did Marxist, academic Marxists do with this? They did the opposite. They became their own elite caste, usually in universities, so-called left wing. It's nothing to do with the left wing. And they said, oh, we'll manipulate the masses. We'll cause them to suffer purposely. And now neoconservatives and Soros has just borrowed this right out here. We'll cause them to suffer purposely so they'll make the revolution happen. You know, actually, Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab are using a Marxist trope. And I'm not saying Marx, because Marx himself was actually a brilliant guy. I'm talking about the idiots that came after him claiming to be Marx. They, they call themselves Marxists to actually create a virus or create catastrophe so that they can then gain more control and more power over people. They did that with the data function research that now even the Department of Defense says moderate certainty that it came from a lab and low certainty that it emerged naturally. So <laughs> this is a Department of Defense a report. They create the problem. Then they have the solution. So what's the solution? Vaccines. Now, what are happening with vaccines? They're not only failing, they're backfiring. They have neg negative efficacy now. Okay? So now what do we do? Oh, we have monopuravir and Paxlovid. More drugs that now are actually finding out they make it worse. Some of them pick up symptoms like five days afterward. They're having like a double bump. So now we need them to be chronically ill and have chronic autoimmune diseases. And then we'll have another drug. So you see the game. Don't oh, yeah. get on that train. Take yourself out of it. Find, go, go across lines. Don't allow them to bring it into a cultural battle. I, I was a very strong supporter and donated to the trucker convoy both in, in Canada. And I supported the one in the U.S. Because it's nonviolent. It's saying no. It's applying pressure. And those are the things that really do happen. That's the door that's now opening for us. Electoral politics are almost dead. You saw that with the Ukraine vote, 40 billion, and the so-called squad, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, et cetera, they all voted for it. It was nothing but a sop to defense industries. And so I don't, I don't donate anymore. I still vote. You know? <laughs> Sometimes I'll even write in <laughs> my vote. But I realize that that's not going to create the real change. Where my money goes, where my effort goes, where my allegiance goes, that's what creates it. Now, you know, Paul, this requires emotional intelligence. It does. A real serious emotional intelligence. I taught a class at Northern Arizona University called Motivation and Emotion. And what I taught, encourage people to do in real life, not just in sort of academic intellectual space, take real examples for their life where, to use your example, people are being overwhelmed, right? Or people are getting angry at what they're seeing, right? Or people are becoming depressed. These low emotions coming from the animal body feeling this hopelessness and despairing, right? And then I said, hold it. Thank it. Say, emotion, you're showing me what's really going on here. My mind's trying to follow all the propaganda and it's trying to you know, be the little engine that could and it's trying to put a happy sheen over stuff that really is crappy. And you're showing and poking through all that crap and showing me a certain truth and saying, wake the heck up. 
Now honor that and say, and guess what? I'm going to take and honor your contribution to the reality of what's happening in me and in society, and I'm going to transform you. If it's despair, I'm going to empower myself, right? If it's depression, I'm not going to do some happy juice and read a self-help book, like, like shoving a pill in my mouth to dull the pain. Instead, I'm going to say, okay, what is this asking me to do? Am I, not, am I life not aligned? Am I in a dead-end job? Am I treating myself in an unhealthy way? Do I, do I have good relationships with the people around me? And if the answer is no, then you've got to begin to step out. And that is where we are moving to. That's the hopeful area. Hi, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. I bet you you're as interested in freedom and sovereignty as I am, which is damn important right now. Mm. I won't go into it. I do it in my podcast all the time. But you know what? I think it's time for us all to build a freedom flag of green, red, and gold. And I'm going to tell you what, not only we're going to build the flag, we're going to eat it together. And I got <laughs> Drew Canoli from Organifi to tell us what is going to be in each of those colors in our freedom flag so we have the vitality to make the changes we need to make the world a better place for all living beings right now. Drew, why green, red, and gold? Well, green, ashwagandha, green juice, lower stress, 600 milligrams of clinically tried ashwagandha, lower stress. We've yeah. done so many clinicals on this. Excellent. And we need our stress reduced because if we're in fight or flight, if you we're can't in fear- clearly. People will tell you what to do. Yeah. You got big brother telling you what to do every day. You're yeah. just going to be a little robot. I'll pass. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and we need energy. We do. We in gotta, the afternoon. We got to be able to think. Yeah. If you can't think, you're useless. Yes. And you got to be creative. Yep. So what helps me with that? Rhodiola and cordyceps. Yes. Increase the stamina and energy. Vikings used to drink this when they go to war. Yeah. We're at war right now, Paul. Yes, we are. Right? We're at war with, with everything that we don't want. Yep. So we're going to turn it around. We have to turn it around. With the green, love. red, and gold flag. We need it. Yep. And we can eat it too. And another thing that's important. So we covered stress. Yeah. We covered energy. Yeah. What's actually really important is sleep. Sleep yep. doctor. Yes. Right? Doctor, so, doctor quiet. Doctor quiet. People aren't sleeping these days. No. They're, they're disturbed up. with all kinds of frequencies that are entering our multiverse. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> so what helps us sleep? Turkey tail, reishi, turmeric, latte. It tastes amazing right before bed. So all day long, this is the system. It's the sunrise to sunset system. Green in the morning, red in the afternoon, gold at night. Yep. You sleep like a babe. You have more energy than you've ever had. So you will lower your stress. Green wakes you up. Red keeps you going. And gold puts you to bed so that you wake up with a fresh head. And you can be, oh, I love that. And you can be free. We are free. Mm -hmm. And to be free, you got to choose to be free. And that starts with a diet that gives you the energy and the creativity to create freedom, which we all have to do right now. We've got to hold hands, circle the globe. And the nice thing about it is you can put any one of these in your pocket, mm -hmm. unpackage it, pour it into some water. Or like you told me the story about the little kid that eats it straight out of the package and yeah, just chases it. it with water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. You have got your new flag, green, red, and gold. Let's stand up for each other. Sovereignty, freedom. And remember, every dollar we spend on food either goes to corporate farmers destroying the planet or the organic farmers that Drew hires to make the best products in the world. So be the change. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And because you're a Living 4D listener and Drew and I want you to be part of the movement, we're going to make it easier for you with a 20% discount 
On checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's check 20. Let's all get our green, red, and gold and create freedom right now. Capitalism has gone to the point where its own principles, its own tropes, it's violating. We are in a state of unmitigated assault on our attention, on our minds. But our hearts are still here. And our spirits are still here, Paul. And if we recognize that, simplify that, consult that, and allow ourselves to be serious and trusting, rather than simply letting ourselves be led by the latest train wreck of the day, that's the start. And you get a few people to do that, and then they look at each other and they go, we can create a new kind of school system. Not just another conveyor belt into the system but one that challenges the system, that teaches critical media literacy, that teaches financial literacy, that teaches emotional literacy, that teaches that spirit is a real thing, not some kind of religious thing that you have to keep out of schools, but an actual intelligent energy that goes between us and within us that we can access and use when we're working out, when we're, when we're trying to create social change. Which is really love. Yes. You know, a natural intelligence that goes within and between us. I define love as the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self and or other. And, and really, you know, the, without religion, you just got to remember that love is God. And as long as we're sharing energy and information and have empathic and compassionate connection to ourselves and others, that's what brings us together because love is ultimately the binding force of, of the entire universe. And so, you know, it's, what what you're describing is what Jung called holding the tension of the opposites. It's, you know, for example, when I feel myself, the paratrooper in me, wanting to get up and go kick some ass, <laughs> then I, I have to just watch that. I see a lot of yang energy there and I go, okay, yeah, what is that going to create? And that's probably just a great way to leave my family without a father or end up in a prison getting pin cushioned to death right in exactly the spot where I can't do anything for anybody. So I have to sit and just be with it and say, okay, now how can I take that and use that in positive ways, such as spending time with you on a podcast, educating people to, to help them know how to handle the process that I know I'm handling, you're handling. And, and if, if we don't have tools for that process, then we actually can get swept away very easily by our own shadow and actually become the devil that we're trying to eliminate. Yeah, you see that in so many of these so-called radical reactionary movements. They were built upon the same energy, right? Yes. That they were trying to fight and they just became consumed with it. It's really interesting to me that a lot of the neocons, the neoconservatives, were ex-Marxists. Same mentality, wow. right? They just switched schools, right? They went from neo, they went from Marxist to neoconservative. They went from I'm the elite to tell everyone what to do. Then they say, oh wait a minute, it's not working. From I'll go over to another school and I'll still be the elite telling people what to do. But now I'm going to be the opposite of what I was before. No, you're not. You're the same person with the same failed top-down mechanisms. You've just switched to the uh, devil's opposite, right? You should, yeah. And 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 until you break out of that, like you have, Paul where you recognize that you're not going to react on impulse, no matter how clear that impulse seems to be directing you and how 
total and how powerful it exerts its effect on you, you're like, I'm going to sit with this for a while. I'm going to consult my higher mind. I am going to exert wisdom and a certain stillness and silence. I'm going to go for a little bit of a walk here. What is the proactive, non-reactive? I'm going to go with, I'm, my mind is, I'm going to thank my mind, right? For, for bringing it to my attention and for showing me it's a problem. But I know it's my heart and my soul that's going to create the solution, not my mind, right? My mind tries to create the solution. I'm going to have a form of the thing I'm fighting against and a pro I might actually make things worse. And this is where you start getting off that reactive cycle where you're just reacting, reacting, reacting. You said, okay, this is a real problem. There are injustices in society. These are real problems. Instead of just getting together a nonprofit and saying, hey, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to pay myself $200,000 to deal with poverty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, you know, right. And that happens. And I'm, we're on the West Coast. We know those kind of people in those organizations. I'm actually going to get together with homeless people. I'm actually going to use my resources and assemble resources to go from the bottom up, not to confer something, but to understand the problem first, right? And to begin to understand the policy things that have not worked. To actually make it, to, that's where the compassion comes in along with good, like you said, common sense, right? When something doesn't work, stop doing it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's important too is that we we now have the science to understand and, and the random event generators have shown this. I'm sure you're aware, for example, when Princess Diana died, the random event generators all started to become coherent all over the world. And whenever there's a major event, even like the Super Bowl, all of a sudden the random event generators are not random anymore. So they're showing, you know, at odds of like a trillion to one that human consciousness is interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so part of my practice is that when I feel the angst and the fear and the unrest in people, it is my reminder to say, now is my chance to meditate or do some Tai Chi or put myself in a state that if, if it resonates out into the global mind, it has a calming and a centering effect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a time in my life when I used to think yogis meditating in caves were copping out on the real growth of spirituality. But as I studied consciousness and looked into the science and looked at books like Real Magic by Dean Radin and many others, I realized that those yogis who actually are able to create such a high level of coherence in themselves can actually become as powerful as thousands and thousands of people, if not millions of them. They're like laser beams. And that they're sending out waves and waves of coherence into the global mind. So I think, you know, a simple way we can all contribute is just create the space in ourselves that if it was multiplied by eight billion would bring the world into harmony because that's something that we can all do. And we can all feel the inspiration to know it's time to do it because our own inner self starts to get wound and, and polarized. And, you know, if, if it's happening to someone like me or you, that's, you know, been around the world for a while and has been through some battles and has common sense, then we can imagine what it must be like for younger people that really 
don't have the depth to really d- discern, you know, what kind of a threat it is, how to respond. You know, they don't really have enough depth to know what's happening. It's kind of like you, you don't want a private leading um, a company of soldiers because they don't know what they're looking at yet, you know. And I think the real basis of value from the place that we're coming from is what I call divine genius, right? Which is there is a nowhere else in the universe value right here, creative, loving value that you have to offer the world. Some people talk about your dharma, that is your purpose in life, a unique gift that you have to contribute. Other people talk about it as just simply chi, you know, and and a, a unique form of that chi that can be offered into the world. You are a different lens. You are di- have different perceptions and experiences that become an avenue for creating value. Now, the the the, the dark side of that is all the data harvesting, where they just pick up on all of our behaviors and habits and things that are simulacrum or a kind of roboticized or artificial imagery of that. And then use that to either manipulate us or sell to advertisers. Well, we don't have to participate in that. All right. We can actually use it to understand who we are uniquely, understand what the needs are in the world that meet our deep talent or deep talent meeting those needs and work with others to make that an affirmative uh, contribution into the world. And if people do that, work on themselves like you're talking about, Paul, and then finding a way to get that self through an open heart and an open mind into connection with other people, we're actually going to be creating an alternative economic system that's non-scarce, that's based on relationship capital instead of exploited human capital, and that will actually begin to build things up proactively rather than tear things down destructively and reactively. And that's the skill that's emerging right now. I was trying to teach that in my motivation and emotion class. I try to teach that in my book just to open up that arena. And I try to teach that in those two articles you mentioned. Okay, because mm-hmm. there's always two things, right? There's the unplugging from the thing that's unhealthy, and that's unplugging or fighting and winning against big everything, big oil, big ag, all these big monopolies, right? And creating a different sense of value. We don't care about them anymore. I've unplugged from all mainstream media. I don't, I do not do that anymore. I unplug from all political contributions at this point. Right? Yeah, me too. Uh, I have unplugged from supporting any party at this point. I will not support any minstrel show that pretends or drama that pretends it's anything other, right, than the same system that it's representing. I'm looking to help create a new system. And the more energy I unplug from that, the more energy I have to devote to the creative alternative. So so there is there's two things here. That's why critical media literacy and emotional literacy are so important. You have to begin to withdraw your energy from it. It's like Stop eating Twinkies, you know, and 2,000 calorie donuts. (laughs) You know, do the same thing when it comes to your information. There's junk food information, right? And there's really pertinent, important information that's going to help you actually become a better person and a better community member. So, you know, go to the non-junk food so that you you are set up well, not only to cleanse yourself and strengthen yourself, but to offer your divine genius into connection with others and create a new currency, a new economy, beta creative energy that doesn't allow itself to be exploited by those people. And if we do that, then they have to come to us, just like those people at the Los Angeles school district. We're taking our kids out and we're moving over here. We no longer support institutional education. 
what did they do? They immediately capitulated, right? So we have examples. <laughs> Call their bluff. They need you. They, you do not need them. You can, you can get together with parents in a house and create a better educational system in two hours than your typical institutional school. Being in the field of education, I guarantee that. And I'm already in conversations like that to create real education, not this reproductive BS. So we can do the same economy. Think about it. Think about it, Paul. What is the currency in the old historical economic way, right? Something tangible. Something tangible, something scarce, right? Something controllable, something fungible, right? And then they built up these little things about, oh, we'll give you some interest on your savings. Have you noticed they haven't given us interest on our savings now for 14 years and we're still running? We have nearly 0% for our savings now for almost 14 years running, right? And they kept it low so that these big corporations could borrow literally unlimited sums of money so they can buy up their own stocks. Yeah, that's that's the thing I wanted you to get into a little bit too, because I think it's important for people to understand why the market's behaving the way it is. Because when you were talking with Regina, which is it all right for me to mention your relationship? Oh, sure, there? of course, yeah. Because uh, you guys, Zeus is Regina's husband, and um, you know, if you don't know who Regina Meredith is, you got to go to Gaia TV. Look at the show Open Minds. I've been watching Regina on Gaia Gaia for TV for years, and you've already figured out by now Zeus has his head on straight and Regina is one of the most, I think she's one of the most important women in the world today, actually. Uh, I think she's a fantastic model for women and what women can be. She's a great model for the intelligence of women. Um, the, you know, her depth of knowledge and breadth of knowledge is very unusual and she's very spiritually grounded and she asks tremendously good questions. So um, my point was I wanted to just let everybody know about Regina, but I also, when you gave that explanation, it helped me understand why, you know, why is it that there's so much money in the market when people seem to have so little money? It's kind of like this weird situation. And then you got people running to invest in things and all of a sudden they're collapsing. And so maybe if you could just spend a few minutes explaining why this is happening and what it's ultimately going to lead to. Cause when you described it, I thought, Oh my God, you know, that makes, a, you know, it was kind of like I was listening to an intelligent doctor diagnose a patient and it seemed obvious once the doctor spoke. Well, the, the I said in the intro to my chapter, I said, money isn't value. Alan Watts called it. He made the analogy. Money is like inches. You can't run out of inches especially when your money is not backed by anything. You can just print up a lot of it. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so we're having a clash of two systems of value right now. One's a materially based control, dominance based physical currency. And it goes right along with transhumanism, you know, trying to roboticize artificial intelligence. It doesn't believe in a soul. It does not believe in a spirit. Everything is controllable. Everything is material. And every human interaction needs to be gauged through computers analyzing your actions. In fact, you've all in the Noah Harari, you mentioned him in the notes to me. Yeah. This great crazy. trumpeter of Homo Deus, which is just 
stratospherically megalomaniacal. It's just egocentric to the to, to the extreme. The notion that somehow this is the, the, co the comment I made that with all the biomet right, biometric information, computers will know us better than we know ourselves. That was a statement he made. Yeah, I, I heard him say that. That's just stupid. Well, of course it is, but you see where he's coming from. He yeah, doesn't well, believe yeah. in a god. He doesn't believe no. in. He doesn't believe in, in even morality. All he, he doesn't believe in a soul. Yes. And so what happens when you do not have a currency based primarily in the human spirit or chi or life energy or prana or whatever you want to call it, and the global or collective understanding of that, that some people call God or the collective unconscious or the Akashic records, whatever your name is for it, then look how impoverished you truly are and how much you're going to impoverish the world. Because in that world, it's all about winners and losers. It's all about just trying to scramble to the top and crap on other people underneath you and control them because there's a, there's a, you know, shrinking body of energy, right? And you want to, you want to be able to get as much as you can for yourself. Now, the alternative to that is a form of value where it does recognize spirit. It does re recognize relationship capital, it recognizes all the best things in life are non-material and non-scarce. So we have, it's like solar energy. We have unlimited supply, right? They said something on the order of there's enough energy that hits the sun in one day to create the equivalent of energy of oil going over the Niagara Falls for 220 years. You mean uh, the amount of sunlight hitting the earth in a day? Yes, creates the same energy potential as, as if oil was coming over the Niagara Falls for 220 years. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's another distinction too. People keep buying electric cars and plugging them into electric grids that are energized by coal burning electric plants. <laughs> and they also don't realize they're driving cars that put off massive amounts of electromagnetic radiation and are very da damaging to your body. Fortunately, Ibrahim Karim's biogeometry has solutions for that, but most people are are unaware of of these types of things. Our whole our entire property is done is tuned to biogeometry, and and you're, like when people come to our property, they notice immediately that the energy here is very healing. In fact, I've had people break out in tears just being here because it's healing them. But so there there are a lot of things we can do. You know, I, I wanted to bring up an interesting point when I saw Harari talking about hacking the human bioorganism and. Get, get, there's no need for the soul or God. Uh, the quote that popped into my head was Jung addressing the atheists. He said, something must first be real before it can be rejected. So the paradox is that Harari and Schwab's and team's rejection of God and soul is only to the person that has an awareness of what that really is, an affirmation that it's real. Right. And, 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 and a movement for pity. I do pity the man. I do too. I, mean, I pity all of them. I can't imagine living a life so impoverished. I mean, I've, I, I, they're worse than the worst drug addict, drunk, you know, with his face in the gutter, lapping up into the sewage that comes down the gutter. I mean, that's how bad it is when you're removed from your creative potential, from love, from courage, compassion, and creativity. It's just the worst kind of life. And the only thing probably more tragic is all the way that they're using their power to enforce that on other people. That, 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 see, that's the criminal 
part of it to me. That's the, I don't care what a person's belief system. I, I believe in live and let live as long as you're not harming other people. Do what you want on your own house or in your own property. Uh, but, but, you know, know that you're part of a community. But when you start shitting in other people's yards and trying to make them eat it, then we've got a problem. You right. know? And here's how it's playing out in the market right now. Here's the devil's bargain that they're giving to you. And here's how I see it playing out. Okay. So they've kind of lost the ability to moderate what they do. Right? They're now an uncontrolled cancer. If you're a smart ruling class member, you push people just to the line of poverty and just allow them to be eek over it so they're not in desperation, right? And then you just extract all the other all the rest of their efforts and productivity. You know, that way you prevent a revolution and a collapse, you know, but just eek as much as you can out of them, right? Just get them on the border of it, but not over it. Like a good drug pusher. Like a good drug pusher. Now they they have not done best practice in from that business. They don't seem to have any regulator to their impulse to extract and exploit. They don't seem to have any future understanding that if you take five to six trillion dollars and throw them at corporations and don't they don't actually make it to the businesses you promised to support during the COVID emergency that some people are actually going to take notice because their actual real lives are affected by it. So you're going to continue to see that. You're going to see this in continue uh, transfer of wealth, impoverishment of people, gas prices sky high, baby formula, apparently. Um, and actually, that's a good example. Because baby formula manufacturing, is the food is so shitty and so expensive, they were already increasing the price and now they have a supply shortage because the monopoly, a few companies control all the baby formulas, have supply issues or, 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 or there's something going on with them. Now we see the end of that world. Perfect. That world ends in disaster where you can't even feed your own kid. And guess what it invites you to do? Go to feed your kid. Feed your kid. Go to the damn farmer's market. Go to the local grocery. Get that damn blender. Talk to your Make neighbor. Make some real food. Up and freaking feed them real food instead of that sugary crap, crap that they throw in there with all kinds of artificial fillers. So that is the future in a nutshell for the larger. I would say start pulling your money out of the stock market unless it's a company that you really believe in. You know, yes, if it's sustainable, yes, even if it's making you money, yeah. Otherwise, you're dating the devil, baby. Absolutely, you're, you're, you're part of the disease. Pull yourself out of junk food. Pull yourself out of genetically modified food. You know, that, that was another thing that they're trying to do in that commercial for World Economic Forum. Let we'll be eating less meat, and now they're going to do engineered artificial meat and genetically modified. I will never touch one of those Impossible Burgers. No, because they are. They said, well, we had a supply issue, so we're just going to use genetically modified soybean. Bye bye. We'll never. And I will. Every person I meet say you never touch an impossible burger. It's still a corporation, but Beyond Meat does not use GMO. And I go and I buy that because I'm I'm vegan. But I would like to see an organic because that Beyond Meat is still a corporation. It's not organic. My sister is beginning to make her own, you know. Uh, protein burgers 
and she owns a couple of uh, vegan restaurants called Porsche's Cafe in Columbus, Ohio. So if any of your audience is out near Columbus, please stop over. But what she's doing, and it's a great example of the positive rebellion I'm talking about. It's largely gluten-free. It's mostly organic. It's locally run. And people come in there. I'm talking people who are heavy, people who are generally unhealthy. And they say, this food gives me energy. I need it. I come into here and there it is. And she puts all that good energy and that goodwill because she loves what she does into that food. That's the revolution right there. You unplug from the unhealthy and what the big guys are trying to force on you and you plug into Porsche's cafe, right? And we can do that in other ways as well. Plugging out of the stock market, I would say, you know, if you have a highly intensive material lifestyle, there are people who have started a movement for making under $6,000 a year. They don't even have to, can't even be taxed. They're not tax resistors. They just create gift economies and don't have incomes that exceed the taxable amount. Gifting, gifting mm-hmm. other people money. There's fit, you're up 15,000 or less, you know, and then creating exchange and trade economies for skills. Another way to do it. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, you know, one of the things that I find as light in the crack of the darkness is this is bringing us into an opportunity to really ask ourselves what is real, what is tangible. And one of the thoughts that came to my mind while you were talking there is, is I have a lot of books on the history of food and, and old, old books going back into the 1800s. I collect rare books on, on all the issues that I'm interested in. And in a couple of my books that were written in the oh, late 50s and early 60s, one of the statistics they pointed out was that during the First and Second World War, when there was food shortages, 50% of Americans began growing food in their backyards and disease rates fell through the floor. But as soon as the war ended and all the processed food factories started up, all the diseases came right back to where they were. So, you know, I'm encouraging, I have been encouraging my students for years. I, did you get my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, that I sent to you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you see right there, I show the wheel of life and the importance of the soil. And I talk about whatever you do to the soil, you do to the plants, what you do to the animals, and we eat it all. So, you know, like a person doesn't need, you can grow, uh, if you have a six foot garden bed, you can grow a, a significant amount of produce in there and make your own salads and have herbs and things that are healing. I mean, if we use the technologies that are available to us, even even literally on a patio in a condo, you could grow enough to enhance your diet, enough to feel an energetic shift and a, a change in your overall vitality and free yourself. The the other thing I wanted to share with you that was that's quite interesting, you'll find this real interesting. Angie has a yearly pass to Legoland because the kids love Legoland and, and, and Penny and Angie also like going there just because they enjoy that kind of stuff. But there's a restaurant on Legoland that they always go to because it has 100% organic beef burgers. I've eaten at that restaurant. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I had a salad, they, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, well, they were there recently. And first of all, Mana started getting sick as he was eating lunch. So Angie started to get suspicious, but she noticed that when she looked at his hamburger, 
inside a little bit of beef, they had tucked in one of Bill Gates' impossible burgers or whatever they call those things. And she got right pissed off and she went to the manager and said, what the hell is this? That We came here to eat 100% organic beef. And he made some excuse and said, well, people don't seem to complain. Yes, but you're tricking people. They think they're paying for 100% organic beef. And there was about, she said there was a line of people out the door waiting to get, and she raised such a shitstorm. She started walking down the line, showing them how they were tricking people. And the whole restaurant cleared out and the poor guy was practically begging her to get out of there. And so he said, look, there's another restaurant that has organic food here. Here's a certificate. He gave her a, a, a voucher to go buy whatever she wanted over there. But that's the kind of tricks they're playing on people. And that's the kind of unethical behavior. And it just, it was just really sad that that was happening at Legoland because it's like with the shit Disneyland's doing with, with transgender bullshit and commercials and I recently saw a, 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 what is it, Sesame Street thing where they, they were using Sesame Street to try to convince kids to get COVID vaccinations. It's like the, 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 the disease is reached into the very heart of what used to be safe places for kids to get entertainment and education. And now we can't even trust those people. Yeah, but in some ways, again, as, as, as abominable and as sickening as it is, and Make no mistake, I, I, when I see this, I, I have an actual emotional response, and it's mostly one of nausea. Because, because the mask has come off, power is only effective if it can mask itself, and now it is no longer able to. So now they have, they, they have been advertising for kids to get stuck. They, have, uh, they got rid of all the scientists at the FDA. They have a bunch of bureaucrats who know nothing about it. The efficacy is less than 50%, so it doesn't match it, but they don't care anyway. So all of this stuff is happening. They're, they're absolutely demolishing their credibility, and no one is listening to them, and no one is getting their kids this vaccine because their kid doesn't need it. We need that on a lot of fronts. Hi, everybody. You know, apple cider vinegar is like a panacea that's been shown through all sorts of research to help with just about anything. And I personally love this stuff. I found it very, very beneficial on many levels. And Paleo Valley's apple cider vinegar complex is absolutely awesome. And I've got Autumn Smith, their founder here right now to tell you why it will be a great addition to your life. Autumn, what is it about your cider vinegar complex that we should all know about. <laughs> well, I created the apple cider vinegar complex because I was on a mission to not only live as long as possible, but to feel amazing when I did that. And I learned about apple cider vinegar's incredible ability to help keep our blood sugar very nice and stable, which is one thing we know people who live long, healthy lives have. And then I added organic cinnamon and organic ginger and organic turmeric, all that have different benefits of their own from anti-inflammatory properties to brain benefits. And we put them all into capsules so that you could take it and then have your digestion feel better. You could have more energy. You could have, you could avoid the ups and downs all day long because you have that nice stable blood sugar. And of course, another interesting side is that apple cider vinegar may actually be able to help your body break down glyphosate. So there are so many different ways that you can use this product and reasons that you might. And the the reason it's so important to me is because I want food to be used as medicine. And so we can encourage our bodies to do all of these amazing things simply by the addition of the apple cider vinegar complex. 
Well, I also love that you have ginger in there because it's a very effective anti-parasitic. And today with the amount of processed food people are eating, uh, it's a really good idea to have some ginger in your diet. So I love this product myself. I use it every morning. And uh, Autumn, where can people get it and what's their discount? You guys can all save up to 15% off with the checkout code CHECK, that's lowercase c-h-e-k-15. And I just wanted to mention too, the number one thing I hear from people is that this complex helps them reduce cravings. So I hope you all love it. Yes. So go to paleovalley, P-A-L-E-O valley.com and get your 15% discount. And I hope you love it as much as I do. The, one of the first things that you and I and your audience can do, regardless of what your ideology is, is to pull away from this symbolic realm, which says, I can't have my own opinion, my own idea, my own research. I have to follow along. What your, what, what your wife did was exactly what we all need to do. We need to call bullshit on bullshit. We need to let other people know that. We can do it elegantly, gracefully, and directly. Say, listen, this is BS. You are saying the wrong thing. You are misleading people, and I'm going to let everybody know. And I've done that in my articles. You can also see me at CitizenZeus at Substack.com, where a lot of, I I did an article on trends. I did an article on ways in which young people, old people, people from the grassroots can begin to educate themselves to tease away from this system. What they're doing, Paul, is they're using the good heart, the open heart and open mind of good people to create confusion, right? Yeah. You're, they had, she had trust because the sign said, right? Yeah. And then she goes in and finds out they lied to her, right? And instead of getting in a reactive cycle that says, they lied to me nah, 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 and getting into this drama, say, aha, why did they lie to me? Okay. And the answer is, well, because they can make more profit? The answer is because Bill Gates and those guys are trying to introduce genetically modified stuff in there and they don't have a problem with lying to get it in there or creating disasters or pain or suffering to make an excuse to integrate it in. Understand the game. And that's the general game behind everything. When you're going from a tearless perspective, understand that they are losing. If they weren't losing, they wouldn't be so obvious. Okay? So understand you are winning and they are losing. And because they're losing, they have to use heavy-handed tactics, like any dictator. Force it on people. Force it on people. But that forcing demolishes your credibility because you don't have to force something that's actually good for people. You can only force something that's bad for people. Okay? (laughs) So here's where economy comes in full force. Unplug from them. Refuse. Anytime you feel yourself feeling fear... That's their currency. What is the opposite of that in this new emerging spiritual economy? Courage, right? Yes. Hatred and division is what they're spawning, right? Every time you see hatred and division being perpetrated through social media or through their messaging or some gauzy notion of, oh, but the good cop, bad cop thing, but oh, you can do this, you know, nice Disneyland-like thing to make up for that bad thing, anytime you see that spin cycle going on, recognize they're both lies. Go over here to love. Love. Real love. Now, what does real love look like in an economy? Real love recognizes the inherent worth of another person, the inherent dignity that they have as a person, the inherent right that they have to personal sovereignty over their own body, 
to free informed consent, not only sexually, not only in terms of reproductive choices, but what goes into your arm. I made that in one of these essays on Substack, again, Citizen Zeus at Substack. And I said, wait a minute, why are you people saying my body, my choice, but when it comes to a vaccine, you're doing the exact opposite? So that's another sign, contradiction. Whenever you see contradictive principles, good for me, but not for thee, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Uh, whenever you see that, you know, you're in that old materialist, soulless, spiritless, compassionless regime. Go ahead and unplug. Let a person know that contradiction does not fly with me. I support. And there was a great in one of my articles. I had a snapshot of the picture of uh, local placer produce. Newcastle Produce right up the street, locally sourced, local grocery that I support. And it says, we support all people, regardless of race, sexual orientation, etc., masked or unmasked, vaccinated or unvaccinated. That is what it means to be inclusive. Right? You know, I'm not, I mean, sometimes people have been moralistic about someone who's transient or moralistic about someone who's homosexual. No need to do that. But no need. I believe in the protection of everybody's ability to express and share who they are. But I do not believe in the promotion of any of these groups. Right. Or enforcing or, or, or forcing it. You have to yeah. do this. Political correctness and all forth. That is inherently oppressive, inherently unjust, and inherently contradictory. The same is true economically. Make economic decisions that are not contradictory. You may have to make some devil's bargain. Yes, I still use Amazon. But if there's something anywhere close in price in my local family-owned Ace Hardware that opened up about a year ago and they're doing very well, I go there and I get it. Consciousness. My money is going to help determine the future of the world. My choice and my alignment with my higher mind and soul is going to help to move the world, just like those, those, those gurus in caves that you're talking about, except I'm a little more in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I agree. And I brought that up just to, to make that point. One of, one of the things I'd love to hear that, that you talked about with Regina was what is ultimately the effect of the market being run the way it is, because you, you, you shared what the outcome is inevitably going to have to be. So could you kind of, can we bring that concept to a close with the uh, expression of the the knock-on effect of, of what happens if this keeps going on? Right. Well, it's, it's, it is very similar to the parasite or the cancer. It is, I don't think, I mean, a lot of people come up with their, their apocalyptic views about the future, about massive hunger and starvation and people like, breaking into houses and people scrambling with their babies and mass, you know, icebergs melting and all the, you know, shores, uh, you know, being uh, sea levels rising 50, 100, 300 feet, you know, just basically wiping out all the major cities on the coast. I don't think that's going to be happening. You know, I do not think that's going to be happening. What I think is going to be happening is that we will progressively wake up to the fact that there is no win here for us if we continue in the game as it is, you know, for us, for our children. And that's when it's decision time. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've known that that took the advice of doctors around cancer, for instance, 
it was fear-based and they died relatively quickly. If you take a fear-based raise, if you take a fear-based route now, I think you will die more quickly, either through suicide, poor health, or the fact that your anxiety is absolutely destroying you. Did you want to know this, Paul, that anxiety was just a little bit behind obesity and diabetes as the highest risk factor for COVID? It gave you 20, Yeah, I don't doubt it at all. It gave you a 28% increased chance of dying from it, whereas the diabetes and obesity, just a couple hundred above it. 30%. Wow. So that should show you how powerful the currency that you're dealing with emotionally, as well as relationally, as well as internally, runs your life. If you go from fear and anxiety, you will kill yourself. If a system goes through fear and anxiety and caught dominance and control, it will kill itself. Here's what I would say to that. Let it kill itself. Yeah. One of the definitions, I, I can't remember which psychologist gave it, but it was quite good. He said, uh, anxiety is the fear that today will be like yesterday and depression is the fear that tomorrow will be like today. Right. That's really well said. And it, each one of these accepts within it an immutable, unchanging frame. Right. It does. It's a fixation. It's a fixation. And that's what we're doing with our economy right now. What's confusing so many of your people is they can't see outside of that frame, right? They were raised in it. So many people's relationships are guided by their notions of love early childhood with their parents. Same kind of thing, right? They're looking for the opposite or <laughs> looking for the same thing of the kind of relationship they had with their parent. And they're trying to work through that. The same thing is true on an economic and social level. We are brought into a society with certain principles. We're taught and propagandized to say, if you just work hard enough and you have a good enough idea, you will succeed. And yet you look around and find that all the people that are lazy have no good ideas and are using other people guys are the ones succeeding. And you're looking around and finding that good many of the people who have the good ideas and so forth are not. So now you're like, what do I do with this? I don't have any frame, right? It doesn't fit the frame they gave me. And I don't have an alternative frame. Well, that alternative frame right now is based in self-trust, right? Yes. Deeply say, one, I'm glad this is happening. I can despair. I'm, I'm an Aries male. I'll despair and I'll rail and I'm like, F this and F that. <laughs> These MFers, you know? <laughs> you know yeah. I don't have a problem getting that out, but I'm not going to stay there, right? I'm going to say, okay, this is a signal that we need a different kind of future. And that future is not going to just come accidentally. What features of the current system do I need to be aware of and unplug from and learn from to help construct a different one? To give you an example, um, and I'll try to apply this to economy, to give you an example from schools, I noticed in my own life that schools never seem to offer the most critical things, right? When I was a teacher educator, there are four most important things, right? When you're going to be a, to, to make a good teacher. One is absolute regard for your student, your learner. Ability to connect and have relationship with that learner. Enthusiasm, passion for your career, for your craft. Content knowledge for sure, right? And not to be probably maybe the most important practical one is organizational ability. How do you organize ideas, organize your time, and organize your day? 
Guess how much of that is taught in your typical teacher education program? Probably none of it. Zero. I looked, I went to the seminary for a year and a half, Paul. Four things were important for me. I wanted a relationship with the divine to be developed. I wanted to have an example of practical morality and, and regard for community from a spiritual standpoint, you know, like the gospels or examples of Jesus brought out. I wanted a, a contemplative practice and I wanted service. Those are my four top things. Guess how much was taught in the seminary on those? Probably none. <laughs> Zero. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh <laughs> All right. I could go with school, financial literacy, critical media literacy, emotional literacy. How much is that taught in the school? Well, maybe one, two percent. Why is it that every single time you identify the most critical things to know and they're not being taught? Well, my, my critical mind says there's, that's intentional. Okay. It has to be because it's, how can it be that we're avoiding our instincts, our intuition, and our inherent alignment with values, which is innate in a human being, and it's happening on a grand scale? So, you, you know, you, you have common sense says if everybody's starving, then there's somebody shorting us for food. So then you got to say, well, well, who's behind it? You know, it's like all these food factories of miraculously within like weeks of each other, like 20 food factories have exploded or had fires or, or blasts or airplanes fly into them. You go, okay, now you don't need to be a genius to say, wait a minute. How does 20 food factories get destroyed within the span of one month simultaneously when they've been functioning some of these things for 50 years? without a problem like that, unless somebody's behind all this stuff. So yeah, you know, it's like you're saying that you've got to look to the agenda. And I, and you know, we, 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 we put our kids in a, in a Steiner school because the quality of the education is so high, but we were shit shocked when, when Steiner schools started adhering to mask mandates. But fortunately we, two years ago, we moved to Fallbrook and we had to move Mana from the Encinitas to the Fallbrook Steiner school. And these people were so much more on top of it. They moved the entire school outdoors so that the kids don't have to wear masks. So now, you know, if it's cold, they wear jackets. If it's hot, they have umbrellas. If it's wet, whatever, they, they learn to live out there in the real world. And, and the kids love it. Mana has never complained a single day. Exactly. It always is an improvement. I'll ask for your help on this, Paul, because I'm going to say, well, what are the four or so in absolutely critical core functions in the economy that we know 0% <laughs> are being followed? Your, your example of the school puts it that way, right? To bring you in touch with nature and to bring you in touch with the actual source of your own life and your own self-knowing, okay? Mm -hmm. Two, I would say, to help you develop your theme, your talent, your divine genius, right? Yes, to that's correct. That, to mentor that, to create a community around that so that you can be a powerful, aware citizen, to be critically literate, to be able to analyze and dissect BS. Yeah, think constructively. Think constructively, research, do fact based understanding of what's bullshit and what's not, and to love. For certain to love, 
to learn compassion, to learn to really, if you have a disabled kid in your classroom, to understand that you're not going to be some savior and some pity. You're actually going to be learning, understanding that person has their own divine genius. They may be physically disabled, but they have gifts that you can learn from, right? And yes. so now you have a real economy, right? And now what if you brought that to the wider society? What would it look like politically, uh, you know, market-wise? We would be supporting each other. We would be going to farmers directly. We would find community-based health centers. You know, <laughs> I, I like the idea of Medicare for all because it would save something like four or $500 billion, supposedly just administrative costs alone. But then I recognized, wait a minute, what if Biden and his guys are running that system? And they're saying, you can't get your health care unless you take a vaccine. Yeah, that's another trap. Yeah. So just what like I the said, whole medical insurance is a trap. Exactly. I've gone into one of those payment plans, you know, those ones that are clubs, right? Pay clubs that can provide insurance, but not, they can't call themselves insurance, but they can actually provide you that stuff. And so I, that's one of the ways I unplugged from, from Kaiser, who was horrible. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm paying half yes. as much and I get zero deductible type of stuff and it works. So, Great. so, so if you can unplug and plug into a kind of in, into community, rather than these large institutions, rather than simply looking to the government to do it. And that's what I advocate. They said in order to do Medicare for all in California, it was going to cost $320 billion. I'm, I'm like, that's when you leave intact the inflated drug prices and you allow Big Pharma and all those guys to run it. I, if you gave me 2 to $3 billion, I could double the outcomes in the state of California by making community centers that brought farmers food that created connections uh, uh, that actually had naturopathic and people where you create an education center and a health center that has alternative holistic and yes, also conventional as well, integrated medicine. And you would get better outcomes for that two to 3 billion invested in community health centers around the state of California than you would with that 320, which would make people sicker because that system is geared to just throwing drugs in your face and charging you 10 times as much or doing it through the taxpayers and making sure you get sicker and sicker and sicker. So you're now a lifetime membership in, in their, in their sick care system. So, so if you look at, look, look economy going from there to there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Think about the goodwill. You're going to see a conservative person. If you're liberal or a liberal person, you're conservative and you're not going to be thinking libtard or Republican. What you're going to be thinking is, that person has a family. That person wants to be healthy. We share that value. Let's see how we can make that happen. So that's the alternative. We're concentrating proactively on the things that bring us together that are going to make us stronger and healthier and make those other guys weaker, the ones that would seek to exploit us. And we have to stick up for each other. I stuck up for the conservative parents when I was there. Because I want them to be who they are. If you are conservative, like I said, I'm kind of a polymath. I got conservatism in me, liberalism, progressive in me, and libertarian tendencies are all blended together. They all have some good stuff. So that's just the kind of person I am. But I don't want someone to be homogenized. I don't want an economy that creates a McDonald's for everything. I want small businesses to explode 
and for people to withdraw all their money from the big banks, all their money from these junky fast food mega corporations, and start to support their local businesses, their local restaurants, their local communities, you know? And local and farmers, local, local mechanics, farmers, local mechanics, local hairdressers, yeah. local, you know, because you see, What's happened with all this globalization, as you know, it's wiped out small business to a great degree. And so what that does is it limits the ease ability of a person to do what they love to do because it's easier to fall into the trap to thinking I've got to do this for money or I can't survive. So you end up, I saw a lecture by Arnold Schwarzenegger and he quoted research, one study from Europe and one study from the United States. And it showed that 70, I think it was 70% of Europeans on surveys said they hated their job and 75% of Americans said they hated their job. That's a death stroke to the economy to begin with, because you're not going to get good productivity out of people that hate their job, and they're going to go home and medicate themselves because they're living in a reality that they don't want to be in. So they have to watch junk television, eat junk food, drink alcohol, smoke pot all night just to try to get a a, a, a break from the treadmill. But if we if we go back to a smaller community based market system where the guy that loves to make cheese brings great cheese to the market, the guy that loves to you know, have free range beef brings free range beef. The woman that loves to make beeswax candles that are good for you to have on at night because it calms the kids down and doesn't disrupt your sleep cycle. So what happens is we, we actually have an opportunity to go back to doing what we really love to create tangible goods that are made with love, that are a sharing of love that help people and inspire people to do the same. I, I don't think we're going to get out of this because if we keep going the way we're going, we're getting more and more separate from our heart. and We're becoming more and more objectified and controlled. But if we go back to what you're describing, which is what I'm all about and promote myself, then we go back to saying, what is it that I really love to do? I tell people all the time, look, if you do what you love to do, even if you don't make as much money as you did working for the drug company selling pills, you're making love every day and that's sustainable. But working for money gets people sick and it isn't sustainable. And as Joseph Campbell says, you can climb the corporate ladder and get to the top and realize the ladder was leaning along, along against the wrong wall the whole time. So you, you get to the top of nothing. You're, you're, now, you, now you're spending all your money on your heart disease and your anger issues and, and your uh, sexual organs that don't work. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a great metaphor for an actual healthy economy. The principles of healthy economy are very simple. And it goes back to what you're saying. What you were talking about is what capitalism should have always been in the first place. Yeah. Free exchange of goods and services that people like and need. Right? Yes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that, what you know, a concept. You know, what a concept. And essentially, people like them not because they're deliberately manipulated to give you a high fructose corn syrup high, right? But they yeah. are made with love and they have simple ingredients and those ingredients sustain your actual life. And they're nutritious. You know, the other thing I tell my students is that because a, lo a lot of them, you know, a lot of the people in, in the holistic health or healthcare industry are, are not really well oriented toward business. You know, people that make good therapists and 
and coaches are often not good business people and they often have a hard time marketing. So one of the most common questions I get from my students is, how do I market? I don't know. I can't seem to get enough business. I say, look, effective marketing can be boiled down to telling the truth attractively. There's a big difference between telling the truth attractively and lying to people and tricking people. I think one of the transitions we've got to make is we've got to reinvent the whole concept of marketing and getting away from the brainwashing and trickery of Edward Bernays and just tell the story about how you make your cheese or how you make your quilts or why it's important to you, why you use this quality of materials. And I, I tell my students all the time, focus on what you're good at and identify what it is that people need. So if you help, if you're good at working with back pain, then use a problem solution approach. I can help you with this problem and here's how I can do it for you. And that's effective marketing. It's not hard to do. You don't have to lie to people or trick people. But I think we, part of what this whole thing is showing us is that we, we've got to be very conscious of and careful not to emulate people who have gotten rich by using um, sick values. And, and the problem is, is that so many people think that money makes freedom, that they emulate the people that they see having what they think they want. And then we end up in the situation we're in because you, you, it's like having psychologically ill parents that are violent. Well, it's hard to get a healthy child out of a relationship between psychologically ill, violent parents that isn't psychologically ill and violent because that's the way they've been taught that the world works. Right. An economy is educative. Make no mistake. A real healthy economy educates. You know, there's a propaganda and then there's the, <clears throat> the overt message and then there's a the covert message. The covert message for the present <clears throat> collapsing, parasitic, cannibalistic capitalism, corporate crony capitalism is basically F you, the powerful will get more powerful, the rich will get richer, and you, you're lucky to have a few crumbs. That's basically what they're saying, and they're not even trying to hide it anymore. The alternative economy is saying you're an absolutely indispensable, valuable, nowhere else in the universe contributor and valuable life force being in this community. We want what you have to offer. We will find a way within the exchange of goods and services and knowledge and feelings and intuitions to let that come into a blossoming, let that flower and let us all as a community reap the harvest of your wonderful talent, wonderful gifts. And then we're going to set up a system that allows that to happen for everybody. And that system is going to make that primary. It's not going to make identity politics or some label or some aspect of you become all of you, right? Yes. Your talent, your genius, your contribution unconditionally is what's going to be, quote unquote, the thing that you are known for, the thing that you will be defined by. And it won't even be defined by, but the thing you will be expressed by and, and, and received by, by the community. That's just a different... <clears throat> that's just a different mindset. The other one is the whole social Darwinist survival of the fittest. It's not even the survival of the fittest. The, the biggest idiots and the weakest are the ones surviving, unfortunately, now. So it's like neo-Darwinism. <laughs> it's like the worst of both worlds. But what if we had the best of both worlds? Or even the weakest among us or the most disabled among us 
was recognized as having a transcendent spiritual wisdom gift to offer other people. And that we actually did that instead of just warehousing them and treating them like some kind of broken person and casting them off to the side. And to say nothing of old people. You know, in my book, I gave an example of this because we warehouse our older people too. One of our greatest storehouses of knowledge from a spiritual, economic, and social standpoint, we decide we're going to go ahead and warehouse because we can make a lot more money if we keep people afraid of death. One of the best things we could do is have young people be with dying old people. And their fear of death would be gone. And 50% of the leverage, the fear leverage that those massive asshole corporations are doing would be gone along with it. One of the best simple things we could do for the economy and for society is to have young people understanding that dying is not the end and that dying is a process and it can be a beautiful process as well as a difficult one. So that's one thing we could do. And in my book, I said, why don't you have those young people living with the older people, getting room and board? And there have been some small experiments with this, helping them with their errands and then learning from their wisdom. That's in an actual economy. Is money exchanging hands? No, but everything that a real and healthy economy is being exchanged there. Needs meeting talents. And both of them are it's a win-win. Both of them are doing so in love, in compassion, in receptivity. And then I said you could even begin to help pay the food costs for those young people and the older people by getting some of this expired two days ago bread from the local far, from the local grocery instead of throwing it in the dustbin. Give it to these people. So there you have an example, a concrete example of the difference between these two economies. One's based on predation, exploitation, parasitism, kind of cancer. The other one is based on building up, becoming healthier, becoming less dependent, but at the same time more connected, very much modeled on nature. Every one of these niches, every one of these diversities, unique talents is not a threat to be banged out of this system by pseudo-progressives and pseudo-conservatives and pseudo-liberals, but one to be welcomed as value, as creating a rich ecosystem, a very Amazon rainforest type of ecosystem of exchanges that can create e higher quality, better, joyful life for everyone involved. That's very different than the survival of the fittest. It's now everybody's, it's, we're going beyond the survival notion to this thriving notion. And that thriving is what's going to save us in terms of survival. Because if we have, are we soulless and we allow this current system to continue, we'll all be dead. Or a very big portion of us are you going to die from disease or they're going to die from suicide. And I cannot, and you cannot just see what's happening and not say something. So I want to say it right now. I will not stand for that. I will not stand for that system going the way it is. I'm going to put everything I can educationally, economically, socially, family-wise, including in this talk with you, Paul, to really begin to forward this positive, creative, spiritual alternative. And it welcomes every single person in the, on the planet, disabled people, religious fundamentalist people, who know, <laughs> you name it. Every one of us needs to have our soul trusted, felt, exchanged. And every one of us needs to go ahead and be able to bring something forward of value and to receive the value of other people. And none of it requires money and none of it requires a membership. None of it requires a political ideology or some kind of identity politics. In fact, all of those tend to get in the way. In fact, I would say they don't just tend to get in the way, they just get in the way.
Many of you are aware of the importance of magnesium, but very few are aware that most of the magnesium products out there are not high quality and seldom do what they say they'll do on the bottle or the package. But Bioptimizers has produced the most comprehensive magnesium breakthrough product on the market. I've got Wade here to tell us a little bit about it. Wade, what makes your magnesium breakthrough product so unique? Well, I think because we combine a variety of magnesiums. In fact, we use seven different types. So if you look at all the research papers out there, you'll see that they'll use various magnesiums, whether it's orotate, malate, you know, sucrosomial is a hot one that's just come out recently. And they're rated on bioavailability. But the biggest component that a lot of people don't understand with magnesium is that different types of magnesium are uptaken by different parts of the body or different organs, some in your brain, some in your nervous system, some are vasodilators. And so there's a variance in people's responses depending on what they need magnesium for. So we went out to try and solve this problem by combining all seven of the best magnesiums into one single capsule, which was very difficult because number one, the bonding size was different. The nozzles for the machines wouldn't work. We don't use any fillers or uh, chemical uh, excipients, the flow regulators. And then we got them in the caps and the caps rose. We had to do special light caps. But when we solved all those problems and turned it out for ourselves because we were tired of buying, you know, I had a whole counter full of magnesiums. Well, guess what? A lot of people said this was the best magnesium product they've ever taken. And after being in this business for 18 years, it's quickly moved to our number one selling product in Bioptimizer history. What are just two or three things that magnesium is really supportive of? I know sleep challenges is one of them. What are some of the other key issues? Well, it acts as a down regulator for your nervous system to kind of help you relax and go into, you know, out of fight or flight. And that's the biggest factor, especially today in a, in a high blue light electromagnetic frequency world that we find ourselves in a high stimulus environment. It's also critical for vasodilation and vasodilation increases blood flow. And many times when we are suffering from a variety of pain or conditions in the body, it's because we're not getting oxygen in or toxins out of those tissues. And you've written a lot about it in your work. And so magnesium breakthrough, because it's so powerful and not available uh, in most North American diets because of what we've done with farming. Uh, it's a great way to augment your diet and it's easy to get. You go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com or magbreakthrough.com slash living4d. You can get a 10% discount and it's a money back guarantee. If it's not the best magnesium you've ever taken, you get your money back. Mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com, magbreakthrough.com forward slash living4d. And is there a discount for the listeners? 10% for all, right. all the listeners. All right. Give it a go, you guys. Everything I use from Bioptimizers is the best I've ever used. That's why I love Wade and Bioptimizers. So you've heard how it's made, why it's made, and how it works. If you want the best, go get it. I tell people the best antidote for the fear of death is just to live and love fully and really you know, live your life so that no matter when death comes, you don't have this angst about having not lived or experienced or expressed yourself or let your the genius of your soul pour out into the world. Um, you know, and, and when we're if we go back to the kind of of community based economy we were talking about, where people are doing what they love to do, then they know that no matter when they die, they've 
given of themselves. They've put themselves into the world. And it's, you know, when you, when you look at the concept of a soul, there's two ways to look at it. You could say, well, the soul transmigrates the physical dimension and, and, and then you, you can, you can agree or not agree with reincarnation. But you can also remember that whatever we give to the world lives on when we're gone. I mean, my, many of my greatest teachers are not here. Carl Jung, I study regularly. He's not here. David Bohm's not here. I mean, the list of people, Paramahansa Yogananda's not here. But their soul lives on in what they gave. And I think if we orient ourselves toward the giving of the genius within us, which requires that you listen to your heart and your soul and focus less on money. Yes, we all need to meet our needs. And that's why we need to help each other. But once you're giving of your soul into the world, then you live on. And knowing that you leave the, the 3D plus time world into something. And I tell people all the time, look, if you look at the magic and the mystery of the world, I mean, most people don't really sit and think, what, what are the odds of being here on a blue pearl hanging out in the middle of space when moving at the speed of light, it'll take you about 110 years even to exit our own galaxy, which is known to be one of now 2 trillion galaxies about this size. What are the odds by chance that this could happen by accident? My point being is if you look at the majesty, the mystery, and the awe of what it takes to put life on earth together and give us this human existence, whatever has the intelligence to create something that magical certainly doesn't just go screen to black when your body dies. It, it, would, it, would, be, it would be like if I can think of something better than that, then God certainly has to because all consciousness is ultimately God consciousness. So I say to people, don't be worried about death because God loves to build Russian dolls with more surprises inside the surprises. So the real surprise is when you die and you realize you haven't died, you know, and I've had my own, you know, NDEs to have these experiences. And I've found myself laughing and crying so hard at, at the, at the sense of humor. God has yeah, exactly. it's like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, God loves a great freaking giggle. I'll tell you. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's a, it, if there is one kind of motto for the exchange in a spiritual economy, it is that the giving enhances the giver as well as the person yeah, receiving it. Yeah, it does. And mm -hmm. if you understand that we are created with that same amazing love, that we were created in love to create in love, right? Loving our work, loving the other person, loving the ability to actually express a talent, then where is the loss? And if you carry that over to death, you're going to see the same kind of thing. Death is not the end. It's another giving up of the body in order to release the spirit into a new experience yet again. That's going to benefit this being. So there is no losing in this, in this new economic framework. Yes. One of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on is because one of the things I've seen talked about by experts of various types and people that are environmentally savvy 
and, and it's talked about in this book here, which I really think is fantastic. It's called The Web of Meaning by Jeremy Len. I referenced it in our conversations by email. Excellent book. But one of the things he brings up and he cites various experts to back it up is that the people like Bill Gates and the super rich people, they're privatizing, they're profitizing the commons. So they're actually, you know, People like Nestle are buying water rights. And even in California, there's places where you can't even drill your own well because someone else owns the water rights, like a large corporation. They're, they're selling off forests. They're selling off uh, reefs. They're selling off everything. What, what is, what do you feel uh, is the, what's going to happen if they keep privatizing and, and commoditizing the whole of the commons? Well, I think there just will be a, a, a backlash, right? I mean, they truly think they can create a company town out of the entire planet. You know, that's the that's the problem. Right? I mean, they are going the company town for your audience is basically a model in the old coal mining industry, and literally the coal barons would own the houses for the coal miners, own the stores, the food stores for the coal miners. And then also own, of course, their salary in terms of how they paid them. And they would only let them actually use that script. They wouldn't even give them money to help pay them back all that money for the housing and for the food that they would supply. So that's exactly what Rockefeller. Did. Yes, that's what Rockefeller did. And they're trying to do that from a global scale. They're trying to basically turn everything into a rent in which all the money goes to them. So how do you react against that? Well. You do the opposite. You first of all claim your own personal sovereignty. You say, I I'm not owned by anyone. It certainly was it was certainly demonstrated those people who refused to take a vaccine. You don't own my body. No, you can't force me to take your crap, your script, especially if it's damaging. And then of course we have to band together. Like the like the unions were when they were not being run by a bunch of thugs and crooks, but a union of people that cannot be divided along the lines that are traditional, right? Right. Where they keep the common heart-based interest at the very center. We all want to have a successful, happy, joyful life. We all want to have healthy kids and our own health as well. We all want to have a meaningful enterprise, meaningful talent. And because we're all agreed on this, we can actually come across those lines. Cesar Chavez was just a brilliant at doing this to make sure that they cannot abuse us and that we work together to accomplish those things that we need to fulfill those principles and those values. That, I mean, in the end, I mean, I didn't talk about this a lot in my book, but this is about moral courage. You know, economy and transformation of economy is about moral courage. First of all, moral discernment to say what's important, what's not. My fellow man, no matter what their belief is, is my neighbor, even my enemy. I love my, even my enemy. I won't let somebody fall, but I won't let somebody take me over because I love them as well as love myself. And when we see the crap happening and we see people saying, oh, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy because we own it all and we can tell you what to do. We say, no, we will not. Any company that subscribes to this donates to this, any politician that allows himself to go to the Young Leaders World Economic Forum, we are going to vote out. 
<laughs> we're going to make sure we withdraw our money from. We're going to act systematically to absolutely disembowel the ability for that to get a foothold in our system. And we'll do it through natural means, not artificial means, not through violent revolutions. That's exactly what we've got to do with censorship. Censorship is death. It is. Um, we've, we've addressed several of the questions that I had, but one of the ones I'd, I'd like to jump forward to is we've talked about suicide, anxiety, depression. And as I mentioned in my notes to you, we're in the third wave of the psychedelic revolution. And, and I have tremendous respect and reverence for psychedelics, which are now called plant medicines. I've conducted uh, over 450 healing ceremonies in my career with plant medicines. I've done a lot of work healing myself. I healed myself from the pain of my brother's suicide. I healed myself from uh, you know, my midlife crisis with a combination of my spiritual practices and the use of plant medicines and art therapy and, and dancing and singing and channeling and, and good sex and rest. Um, but I've seen you know, people come to me from all over the world in, in a serious crisis from the ineffective use or abuse of psychedelics, just like people end up addicted to pain medications and all sorts of stuff. Um, so one of the things that concerns me is, is this issue of happiness. And I think, I think we've got a, a, a crisis in our understanding of what happiness is and how to create it. And Aristotle made the critical or crucial distinction between two forms of happiness, which, as you know, he called hedonia and eudaimonia. Um, I'd love it if you can share your thoughts with regard to the concept of hedonia, eudaimonia, and, and also just the issue of what happiness is and how you feel we can, what can we do to get clear on what happiness is and how to create it? I think. I'll interject before you start. I'll say that I think a lot of people have the false impression that happiness is only there when everything's going perfect for you. You have lots of money in the bank. You're getting a blow job. Uh, you, everything's perfect. But to, to me, you know, I'm 60. I've had a chance to figure this out. To me, happiness is when I'm really honestly engaged in not only my creative expression of myself, but a commitment to dealing with the challenges of life, knowing that they're growth opportunities instead of threats to my temporary happiness. You know, so I feel that I feel that we've lost our sense of what happiness is. And so we keep trying to create it by buying shit. And by drugging ourselves, I'd love it if you could share your wisdom in that regard, because I think it could be very helpful if people had a more grounded understanding of happiness, what it is and how to create it. Yeah, I think your distinction, your example is a great practical way to understand these rather abstract sounding terms. Eudaimonia is, 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 is joy. It's spiritual happiness, right? It's the happiness of the higher mind right? It's that elevating, uplifting thing, and it lasts, right? It's usually, it's usually associated with the non-material, right? It's usually associated with engaging some deep truth in yourself, some great love you have between another. You know, 
the sex may be the the hedonia, right? The pleasure principle. And yeah. it's not uh-huh. in sensuality. And I'm a big fan of sensuality and pleasure, especially if it's integrated with the eudaimonia. And most Greeks said the two should come together. They didn't put them as opposites or dual. You know, so the whole idea is to integrate and recognize the realm of both. Just as we are a higher mind, a higher soul and so forth and a lower body, right? And all the mental and emotional aspects in between, that they, that a good human life and a happy one truly is one that combines deep fulfillment and purpose with the pleasure and sensuality and ability to really appreciate and deeply feel blessed by this world. Now, the point that you brought forward, I think, is the good litmus test between the two or at least seeing whether or not you're able to integrate the two. If you're presented with a challenge that's painful and you see it as an invitation to a higher level of development that will create greater fulfillment, which is a subtler, longer-term notion of happiness, then you're talking eudaimonia, right? Mm -hmm. Eudaimonia can sometimes square off against hedonia. Hedonia says, ouch, that hurts. Whether you're stretching or you're running and... exceeding your athletic capacities, ouch, that hurts, right? You're going to be breathing hard. It's going to be somewhat unpleasant, you know, but it's inviting you toward a state of flow. It's inviting you to let go. It's inviting you to say, ah, breathe into getting past your limits and therefore developing you and creating a more fulfilling and healthy possible human being. So that's the difference on a practical level, on a, on a larger level involving the messages in society, social media, and economy. And I said this in my book, Spirit Athlete, which I wrote seven years ago and I'm editing now. Whenever you have a material thing, and this goes to your point about psychedelic drugs, whenever you have a material thing replacing rather than aiding the spiritual thing, whenever you have the sensual hedonistic or hedonia-oriented thing, whether it's psychedelic drugs or sex or anything, if it is aiding and accentuating your soul's desire, expression, creativity, and love, then you'll have an integration, right? Yes. And you're going to have the best, the longest lasting happiness you can. You have the best of both worlds. If it's replacing or comes out of a state of fear and want that says, I want that spiritual thing, but I don't feel like I can really commit myself to some of the pains and complexities and you know difficulties of of reaching that and integrating it with this lower desire, what I do is convince myself with my mind, right, that this pleasure equals long-lasting fulfillment. And I will do some morally questionable things. I'll sleep with a person just because it gets me off, right, rather than trying to create a connection with that person. I'm not saying this. I'm in favor of people, especially when they're young, when they're experimenting a little bit and they don't really know the other person, to come happily together and honestly together to explore and share and understand the sexuality and so forth. But don't convince yourself by adopting some disnified version of what this means that that can replace the, the actual emotional connection growth that you will have with that person. It's an entry level. It's not a replacement. You see this in a lot of relationships because when they don't turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out, right? Which is usually. Which is is pretty much every single time because it's a different person (laughs) and you have your own fantasies that you're projecting on that person. Then they say, oh, this relationship or what's a favorite phrase? Oh, 
you're no longer the way you were when I met you, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. you lied to me. And I'm like, no, you projected your stuff on me. So there's an example of a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Now you find out, wait, I thought this person thought this. And now I realize they don't. And part of my infatuation was I thought we were like this. And now I see that we're like this, right? Yeah. Now, if you're gonna, stuck in the hedonistic realm, the hedonia realm, you go, this is the end of the relationship. I was lied to, you know, what a waste of time this was. This person's not for me. I got to look around for my soulmate. Of course, that person would probably be looking five or six more times and wondering why they're not finding because they haven't taken the challenge, the spiritual challenge, whether or not you're going to be with this person long-term, medium-term to say, hey, I really appreciate that you're different than me. And I'm really, I'm really thankful that you helped me work through my projections. You've expanded my notion of what it's like to relate to another person, you know? And even though maybe in the end you you are too different to really be considered a long-term fit, sustainable fit, maybe because that person has some core differences that separate from core differences and they mean too much to both. Even sometimes that can be just one kid wants to have kids and the other one doesn't. Whatever the reason is, at least you can go away saying, boy, I appreciate having that person in my life and I don't have resentment toward them and I have gratitude. So that's the difference. I mean, from a eudaimonic perspective, everything is good. Challenge is good. Grief is good. Even death is good because each one of it creates a way to break open your heart, break open your mind. And all of that creates value if you're going to use economic terms. It's not the value we have in the very sordid, corrupted economy now. It's spiritual value, transcendent value. You know, it's funny to me because you talked about Jung leaving his work and Ananda and so forth. Um, and, and I would say the same thing about love. I've said this before. Love is the only lasting legacy. And if you're going to invest in one thing, even if you have no material resources and you're wondering, given all the crap out there, what do I invest in? Invest in love. Love is the only lasting legacy. It is the only thing that does not dissipate even when you die, it is a thing that sticks around forever. Do what you love. Treat even your enemies with love. And that doesn't mean being enablers and being that some kind of wimp. That's not love. Calling somebody out can be an act of love. Saying hell no is an act of love. You're not going to let somebody get away with exploitation because you care about them. You care about yourself. You're not going to let yourself be exploited. So that developing the ability to wisely love and to put that into practice and speech, right? And thought, feeling is the best investment you can make. And if people don't help you with that investment and that investment isn't accruing, and sometimes like an entrepreneur, the entrepreneur will tell you that their best blessings were their failures, right? Yes. (laughs) So don't, this people who are failed relationships, they're a part of your deep development of eudaimonia, the ability to understand fulfillment in its broadest and deepest way as one in which every failure can be turned spiritually judo-wise into a learning opportunity that creates you a deeper you to bring to the next person. Yeah, one of the things, too, that I think is a distinction that's important to make my understanding of hedonia 
is that it's enjoying the pleasures of life. But the, there's a difference when the, when the hedonia is coupled with eudaimonia than it is what you've just described. But when we become hedonistic, it's almost, it really has a parallel in my observation with, with, um, with, um, well, one, it's a form of gluttony, but it's, uh, it's, um, it's materialistic because when you're hedonistic, then you're, everything's in excess and it's, it's the way you create the illusion of pleasure. And now you, you have to have a fair bit of money to really be a hedonist. But my, what I'm leading to is a question. And the question is this, how much of the trouble that we're in do you think could be ascribed or connected to as a differential diagnosis of sorts that we have fallen into uh, a consumerist concept that we can only make ourselves happy when we have a bunch of this or a bunch of that. Uh, and everybody, you know, I, like I like to vaporize tobacco, as you see, I'm doing what we smoke, um, what we talk and I, I put herbs in it. And of course it's high quality and it, it's vaporized and it's something that's, you know, healthy enough that I can handle it and I take care of myself. So it's not a big deal. But if we get to the point where we are only feeling alive when we have a bottle of wine and have a certain car and a certain status symbol and certain types of clothing, some of those ways of living, I think, actually have brought us into the situation that we have the kind of market economy and the psychology that we do. So what I'm asking for is how do you differentiate real hedonia from hedonism and how is hedonism part of the problem that we're facing right now and need to heal? Right. Well, I mean, a, a quick metric is that in hedonism, you can't walk away from it and in hedonia, you can, right? There you go. That's great. Joseph Campbell says, if you want to know what your God is, just ask what you cannot do without for two or three days. Exactly. And, and the idol with a material idol that's in hedonism right, replaces the life force. It, it becomes the master of who you are rather than your own deeper intuitions and souls. The, now, ironically, somewhat ironically, kind of, I guess, in some ways, predictably. So if you look at it principle-wise, it's ironic. If you look at it the way that people manipulate other people, then it's actually kind of straightforward. One of the great tricks of the deceiver is to try to confuse true pleasure, exploratory pleasure, like young people learning to have sex, for instance, with some kind of grand sin or hedonism, right? Right. And they create a dynamic through trying to prohibit or force away certain basic pleasures of the body. Right. right. A, a, a kind of addiction to or fascination or obsession with that thing. The hedonia is intrinsic and has its own value in its experience. It's not directed towards something else, right? Hedonism, you cannot walk away from. It, it is addictive and it's always directed to something else, right? Intrinsic versus instrumental. Hedonism is always instrumental, like scientism or racism or whatever. It's a fetishization of something that then gives, gets more value or more status 
than the thing it's supposed to be signifying. It's what the Buddha is saying. It's the finger pointing at the moon, not the moon. <laughs> Do not mistake the finger pointing at the moon for the moon. Just because psychedelics create these amazing psychotropic states doesn't mean that they're God. It just means that they're a tool. Right. I tell people that the effective use of a psychedelic is to expand your consciousness, which because the psychedelics break down the default mode network or the ego structures of the brain, and they allow the unconscious and the superconscious to flow into conscious awareness. And so what I tell people is I use plant medicines because they teach me how to experience more of what's there all the time, but our mindset, our programming, and our sensory systems have limited us from seeing. For example, many people for the first time on a psychedelic can see the energy field of a tree or they have the experience of seeing a flower or a plant breathing. They literally feel and see it. And so they, they all of a sudden become aware that a flower or a tree is not just an object, but it's actually a living being and it has a life and a mind and a, and a presence of its own. And then I say, after you have saw that with the help of a psychedelic, now go out into the garden and really start connecting to your plants and your trees and the animals as living beings that have life and sovereignty of their own right and know that now you're never alone because you're in a community called nature. And so when you use the plant medicine to expand your conscious awareness, but take it into a spiritual practice then the neural networks have been opened by the plant medicines. And now when you do the practice, you keep facilitating. And as Hebb's law says, neurons that fire together, wire together. So people say to me, well, Paul, how is it that you read auras and how can you see all this energy? I say, well, quite frankly, I practice it, but plant medicines made it much easier for me to see things that my sensory systems or my own conscious limitations were blocking. So I feel that, that that's an important concept. Hi, everybody. You know, Symbiotica just came out with a new product that I got to test, and I want to tell you about it because a lot of you are like me. you got some aches and pains. You know, I've been around for a while and been thrown off horses, motorcycles, and all sorts of things, and there's an area in my body that hurts quite a lot due to having two discs blown out, and that's my lower cervical spine. And Shervine just showed up to visit me with his beautiful partner, Jamie, and handed me this bottle of Ultimate Pain Balm. And he said, Paul, try this. And I put it on my neck and within seconds, my pain was gone. But even better, I felt like all my chakras are opening up and I'm being tapped into nature. So Shervine, what did you do? <laughs> How did you do that? Because this is really good. It smells amazing. I mean, I don't really have words. I, I, I might just go mute here because I'm smelling it and it's taking me into some mystical journey. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look look at the color of it. That it's is beautiful. It looks that, like a, a, a turquoise. What turquoise? Maybe. Yeah, kind of. That's a that's called blue tansy, uh -huh. which is a very very rare uh, flower. Yeah. And we use the essence of blue tansy. It goes with pain relief. Mm -hmm. Blue is cooling. This is an organic artisan blend of some of the most powerful topical medicinals in the world, and its ability to penetrate and create immediate effect is is just 
absolutely stunning. Yeah, and it's acting on an energetic level immediately. It, it really does. And, you know, for s- people that are having breathing issues, children that are having breathing mm-hmm. breathing issues, instead of the Vicks rub, which is filled yeah. with chemicals and all kinds yeah. of stuff, you put that on the chest, put it anywhere on the body. Sometimes I put it a little bit under my nose. It yeah. opens up my sinuses. Mm-hmm. It's very potent. So, yes. So someone like, you know, men, we don't want to like, Put that on our fingers and put it in our private area. If you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, you have a hot rod. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's a journey. It's never been done before at this level. Mm-hmm. It's sitting in Myron glass, just like you know most of our stuff. Yeah. And I'm very, very, I'm very happy with where we're at with this. People are having the best reviews, and it's a go-to for me every day. So it's great for muscle pain, joint pain, anything else? Burns, cuts, anything. Any- restricted breathing. Yep, restricted breathing. Put it on the chest. Headaches. A lot of people are getting cluster headaches because they're not mineralized properly or they're out of alignment. This can open up those senses and allow clarity. I look at it as it opens up the highways of life from within. Plus, it's hard to get a good pain balm that's all organic. Absolutely. It's it's nice to know you can put something on your body that's clean. I can tell you, I tried it. I'm not easy to impress. And I'm sitting here right now with no pain in my neck and this feeling of a fullness of energy. And uh, it's definitely worth trying if you want a, a little backup in your toolkit for when things are aching or if you have some old chronic stuff like I do. So go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and on checkout, use the code CHECK15 to get your 15% Living 4D discount. You will find this very impressive. I sure did. This is your medicine journey. There it is. The one issue I wanted to bring up, because I think it's important, there's a great book. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's, it's only on Audible. It's called The Erotic and the Holy by Mark Gaffney. Mm. No, I haven't heard okay, it's, it. I think you'd find it real interesting. The first half hour or two of it, I, I, I found hard to get through, but then it got really good. But it, it really goes into a Hebrew approach to Tantra. And, and he really describes that the erotic is an inner experience of the divine or that which transcends the physical. So, and for example, if you're making love with someone that you really love, you have a transcendent experience because you move beyond yourself into the union of you and your partner into something that's neither you or them, but it is, it's in union psychology, they call it the third. It's the being created out of the two of us. Like in our conversation, there's something created out of Zeus and Paul that's neither Zeus or Paul, but something both of them combined that's even more powerful than either of us as an individual. And by connecting to what's created in the exchange, which is love, then you have a an erotic experience because there's something happening inside you. Like right now, I'm getting I'm getting new perspectives and I'm getting growth and I'm getting it from someone that I really have genuine respect for. And, and, a, and, a, and, a, and as a man, I can say I love being able to connect to another man that I have love and respect for, just like I love listening to Regina. And I think one of the reasons I love Regina's show is because the people that she interviews and the relationship that she has with them carries me into a transcendent experience where I get to experience the wisdom and the genius of other people that not only affirms my own, but also gives me ideas that I can then engage and help carry to other people in ways that I hadn't previously thought of. So 
one of the things that Mark Gaffney says is that when people fall into sex addiction, it's because they are actually not having the true inner experience of the erotic. And they're, they're using the physical as a symbol or a, an icon for what they're trying to or what the offer of real love and connection is in, in the erotic. And I think this is, I think this is one of the reasons that we're having this big re, re, revival of psychedelics is because people are looking for a, a transcendent experience. This is why Zarathustra, I mean, um, Nietzsche said God is dead because the, the, the organized religions had so objectified God and taken all the symbols that were supposed to be transcendent so that you developed a relationship with God. And now God just became uh, Fauci, Gates, Soros, and crew. And so the religion lost its erotic experience and just became a corporate enterprise, which leads people into all sorts of addictions and pathologies as a compensation mechanism. So in that sense, God was dead. And I think, I think we've lost connection to, to mystical experiences, transcendent experiences, which are erotic experiences. And I think one of the ways to gain the erotic back, I'll give you an example of an erotic experience that, that I had recently that was stunningly beautiful. And, and it brought tears to my eyes, really. I did a sound healing workshop for 22 people here at, at our property, a two-day workshop. Most of the people had no experience in sound healing. It was just something they wanted to explore, and some of them were looking for a new career, and they trusted me as a teacher. So the first day I spent teaching them about different instruments and the structure of how to do an evaluation and how sound works and all the basic principles. And the second day, I said, okay, now we're going to apply the principles. So you're going to work in partners and we're going to apply. And I took them through a structured process. But then at the end, I said, okay, now let's get together in a circle. And what I want you to do is I want you to grab any instrument, just let your soul guide you. I don't care what it is. And then I said, now let's make love to each other. All I want you to do is express your love to everyone in the group through the instrument that you're holding in your hands. And I'm going to, so I had my big shamanic bass drum. I said, I will set the rhythm like the bass drummer. And then you guys just ride with me. And we went into some of the most amazing expressions of music. And we, we went on for a good hour doing this and people were crying. People were hugging each other. And almost every single person in the workshop came to me in person and said, Paul, that was the best workshop I've ever been to in my entire life. And why I'm bringing this up is because that was an experience of the erotic. Absolutely. I mean, just as there is a win-win in which not just for the individual, but between individuals, when you, when you act in love intentionally and May accentuate it sometimes by substances you may take or the musical expressions that you, the, the physical vibrations you do through a musical instrument, which also gives your, your mind, which is a little protective, a different mode to actually more fully let itself rest and let the, your heart speak. 
there is a lose-lose in the other situation. And that's why they're so dramatically different. And that's why people get so confused and so down crestfallen. When they said, I love that person, I thought they, they said, I love you to me. And then we had sex and now they won't see me anymore. And I'm finding out I was just used. I wasn't loved and respected. See, what you're talking about is this, this, this medium, whether it's sound healing, is, is built on love and respect shared, right? Given out erotically. Erotic love it, it, from the Greek root is more along the lines you're talking about. It's not just sex, sex, right? It's this friendship, sex, love, respect, sex. And sometimes it doesn't even have sex. Like it's just, it's just that Congress communion would be a good word for it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, and that communion shows itself to be true communion because people are crying, because people feel that connection, feel, people feel released to truly connect and share with each other. And the opposite is true when you go in the other direction. When you are, even a little bit of you is saying, I want to use that person for some kind of gratification. Bam. There is no eros. No erotic. No. That's the hedonist there. Right. right. That's exploited. We, we, we get the kids together. And we will, because we have a bunch of musical instruments. We have a room in our house called the music room with a piano, a hammer, dulcimer, guitar, and a whole basket full of drums and rattles and shakers and everything you can imagine. And and we'll get our kids together. Mana's six and Zoe's almost three. But we will just do exactly what I did with my students. And, and there, there is no, t- it's not about a music teacher saying you're off beat. It's really just the experience of, singing and the kids start dancing. And the other day, I, I don't play guitar at all, but I picked up Penny's guitar and I just sort of strummed a dance beat and the kids just started going off dancing and they were just having the greatest time. And I think I, I, I'm bringing this concept up right now in, in, in our dialogue for the listeners to say, you can have an erotic experience with very simple things. Um, I had one of my best friends and longest running clients here uh, his name's Jason Picard. I got a phenomenal podcast coming out with him. He's an incredible human being. And I brought a friend of mine, Naveed over, who's just one of the most incre- ama- amazing shaman and artists I've ever met in my life. And we were just hanging out, making music together. And my point is, is that it doesn't take money. It doesn't take much. And, and what I'm leading to is, is, I said to the guys, okay, I've got a surprise for you. And I pulled out a bowl of percussion sticks, Latin percussion sticks that my soul taught me how to use to do healing, especially for people with brain injuries, which is a whole other conversation. But I said, here, take two of these. And I just started a beat. And so we started making music with nothing but percussion sticks. When I do my rock stacking workshops, I have to harmonize people because sometimes I have 60 people in my rock stacking area, which is an Olympic sized volleyball court, it's all fenced in so the kids can't get in there. But I say, now we're going to make the original rock music. And I pass them out with a bucket of, of beach stones that are about, you know, the size of a fit in the palm of your hand. They're big enough you can clang together. And so I take them into this harmonization, tap, tapping rocks together. And people have profound experiences. And that's one of my ways of integrating people. And I'm, I keep them doing it until I can feel that the whole group's in harmony. 
Because I found if I don't do that with people, people aren't paying attention to where other people at. And if rocks start falling and bouncing, you know, it's 911 time. And I've never had us all many years of teaching these workshops. I've never had a single person get injured, even though the probability is high if they're not integrated. My point is that it doesn't take a lot to have an erotic experience. And when you do have erotic experiences, I find that your need for addictive substances and television and social media and likes and all that is now traded for a chance to strum your guitar, sing, make up chants, walk in the forest, walk in with the in the garden and pet your dog, you know, simple things. I, I really I really feel that part of the healing is that we've got to get back to the erotic. And, and understand the eudaimonia, hedaimonia concept so that we can worship the physical things. But like you said, as part of a deeper spiritual experience. And one of the definitions that I created for love with my soul's help is love is consciousness becoming aware of itself. And I think that when we're loving in any way, shape or form, that we're actually becoming more conscious of who and what we are because when we have transcendent experiences, we have the realization that me and the tree need each other and me and the dog need each other and me and the world and my friends need each other. So we stop being so isolated in our ego-based skin suit, as the Buddhists call it, but we realize that, you know, what Jung called the self was everything that supports you. So self with a capital S is the world. You you have to have water. You have to have food. You have to have air. You have to have nature. You have to have friends. You have to have family. You have to have educators. And when you have a conscious realization that your existence is dependent upon the self, then you realize that a lot of the illness in the world is actually when we fall into the limited notion of the self and I think a lot of these erotic experiences help us transcend the limited notion of the self. And that's why um, community is so important. And that's why saying no to unethical mandates and, and immoral mandates and illegal mandates Absolutely. is so important because otherwise we fall into the trap of the destruction of our connection to each other. And then it stifles love connection and the erotic experience and and the next thing you know everybody's either committing suicide or addicted to drugs well what happens when you have an erotic experience is you experience at a deep level that runs through the whole gamut from the base physical where all your childhood fears are stored all the way up to the top of your head and your very spiritual connection to your own soul is your own sufficiency not only your sufficiency but your celebrational understanding of of the limitless nature of who you are. And then if you compare that to the manipulation that's really instantiated through a lot of our family structures and systems and through our economic system, your insufficiency is being inculcated into you. And then they do a switcheroo, right? They do a shell game, uh, it's bait and switch, where they, they say, well, if you get this product, you'll be, be, be made complete. Yeah. And, oh, wait, that didn't help. Well, we have this other product over here. And then before you know it, you've gotten into a dependency and an addiction to just getting those little bursts of pleasure 
in place of fulfillment, erotic fulfillment, in which you know you're more than sufficient, that you are abundant, that you are overflowing. It's what Nietzsche called, you know, he called it overflowing, Dionysian overflowing. When he called the Ubermensch or the Overman, that's what it is. The person has such creative energy that it flows the cup over the cup. It doesn't just fill it. It's not like the glass half empty or half full. It's full plus. <laughs> and yes. once you feel that, that's true eroticism. That's true hedonia meeting eudaimonia and just, then they can't do anything to you. There's nothing they can sell you that can compete with that. So they have to do everything. Religions do this too. Original sin. You are incomplete. You need us as the mediator between you and God. And schools do You're this. You're fallen. You, you've fallen. Schools do this. You are ignorant. You need us, the teachers, to fill your head with the good knowledge. And you need another degree and another degree and another degree. And even if you get the other degree, you're still not as smart as that guy over there. You still need something else. The same game in every single institution is based on your intimate and ultimate insufficiency that's dependent upon some other authority or some other figure. And you, with your exercises, with your sound healing, you're absolutely on the body level demolishing that and giving people an experience that lets them know that ever and always you are overflowing. You do not need any of that stuff. In fact, that stuff is a distraction. That stuff is a delusion. That stuff is a corruption, largely. Unless it serves your communion, it is a, your enemy. It is meant to take you down. We have to be very clear. We're making economic decisions, social decisions, moral decisions, family decisions, whatever it is. Is this creating openness and building people up and going to create creative overflowing and love? Or is it going to do the opposite? So you get you may have to split up. You come to a tough point in your relationship. Are you going to blame that person, get really pissed off, tear yourself down, which is a lot of times what women do, okay? Or are you going to say, I have enough respect for myself, this spirit and the overflowing of it to be present to this moment, to be in harmony with this person I'm going to break up with, right? Yeah. You get thrown out of a job, the same thing, to understand that this may be in the course of things, leading you to something more profound and then realize that you are sufficient and realize there's probably some wisdom in this breakup, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship or something else, moving on from parents, uh, parents dying, some things being removed out of your life and opening yourself up that choice and that opening up and feeling that overflowing and, and asking for the spirit to come in. That's why I fast. Same thing. It, it, when I fast, it opens the doorway because I'm left from the attachments and addictions, even to food, to let that spirit come in and fill me up. And if I go into nature, I oftentimes will not feel hungry for a couple of days because spirit is the ultimate erotic source. Nature, nature and spirit are. I go out there. I'm so filled with that. I'm not hungry. Yeah, I'm like that when I paint. I, I forget to eat. I can go all day long without eating and then realize, wow, I've been painting for eight hours. What happened? And and I think an important concept that I love to get my students to understand and everybody is that when you're doing things that you love to do, you're adding life to life. 
But when you're doing things that you resent or that you've convinced yourself that you have to do, instead of realizing it's what you're choosing to do, which is the words of an adult, a child says, I have to, an adult says, I choose to, then by, you, you know, when, I, when I'm exercising because I love to care for myself and I love to explore exercise or I like to stack stones or paint or make music or, you know, I, I love to go down to our pond and just watch all the bullfrogs and the ducks and, you know, see the, the cranes come in and, and with the turtles that we put in there. And, and then I'm, I feel that, you know, what I'm planting in the garden that I'm adding life to life. So life gets richer and richer and richer. I think that's the opposite of the path that leads people to anxiety, depression, and suicide. And I, I really think that if there's anything people can take away from our, our dialogue is that we all have most of what we need within us. And if you're having a hard time getting the, the, the juice out of yourself, that's when loving relationships are helpful. Because for example, though these people paid me to teach them, what I transferred to them wasn't really something you can put a price on. Because really what I was doing is say, this is how I live and this is how I work with people. And this is a system you could use, but ultimately the system doesn't work unless you love what you're doing, because if you're not loving what you're doing, then you're using an object to address an object and you just have two objects. But if you love supporting somebody and you understand how frequency works and you put love with frequency, now you're creating more life in each moment of life and life begins to burst and the cup fills itself up and you don't need so much. And I think that's an important transition. I don't think we can get out of this situation we're in if we don't get out of the, he the hedonistic, materialistic approach to try to create happiness and well-being and get into a more of an integrated hedemony, eudaimonia and, and an awareness of the erotic as an inner experience. And then we also have to be aware that there is this thing called the work of love. And a lot of people want sexually gratifying relationships that don't come with responsibility. And I think that's a, a childish notion. You know, no man can, can really grow consciously on an island. It takes, and, and, and you know, you mentioned soul. Uh, soulmate earlier, I tell people that say to me, I've been trying to find my soulmate. I've been trying to find my soulmate. And I said, I'll tell you what the most common reason people don't find their soulmate is because your soulmate is the one person that loves you enough to be completely honest with you when you're bullshitting yourself. And until you're ready to be in love with somebody enough to learn the truth of yourself, for better or for worse, and, and share that with them, you won't find your soulmate. You'll block yourself from it. And I think we all have to become the lover that we want in our lives, and then our soulmate appears, and our soulmate can be the entire world in that concept. concept. Yeah, and the, the same is true of, of work, you know, meaningful work. You know, all these jobs I applied for that I was eminently qualified for, didn't get a single one. I have to ask myself, why is that? 
And if, if there's any sovereignty here and any guidance by the soul, and maybe I've come for a higher purpose that that, that other job would intervene or consume my energies into, then I have to open myself to that awareness. So there are many times when I quote qualified, but there might have been a higher list of qualifications for what I'm being asked to do or my own soul is asking me to me I'm not consciously aware of. So that happens all the time. I've had it happen enough, enough times in my life where I'm actually practiced and I can say, okay, I agree. When I'm ready for it in myself and the right job comes to be, maybe I even create that job. Same with a relationship. As I'm ready for it, you know, if I've moved out of another relationship, you know, maybe because I was immature, too immature, there, there wasn't a fit, then that thing will begin to present itself. I met Regina. I literally was gripped by this. I feel like it was my higher mind just coming right down to me. And I got literally up out of the chair while I was writing that, that book. And I said, I want a spiritual equal. That's just, just the words just came out of my mouth. I physically got out of my chair and like turned as if I was speaking to someone or something and said, I want a spiritual equal. That was that. It was obviously coming from me, not from this, oh, I want, you know, that kind of hedonistic kind of grasping. It was like, it was a command, right? It was like, yes, right? And maybe less than a month later, I interviewed with Regina on her show. And then uh, the rest is kind of history, as they say. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, um, I've, I've often pondered the miracle of the two of you uh, together because um, you did it and she did it. And, you know, I won't tell the whole story, but Penny, I, I, I had found that I was having challenges with women that didn't understand my my drive to to bring what I bring to the world. So they kept getting between me and my work. And I would tell them, I know what I'm here to do. And it takes a lot of work, but it doesn't mean I don't love you if I don't show up at six o'clock to have dinner with you. It just means that I'm busy and I'll be there as soon as I can. So it got to the point where I was just so frustrated with, you know, I, I had to go through so many relationships. I meditated for a year and a half. I wrote down everything on a piece of paper, two pieces of paper that I wanted in my partner. And, and what I was willing to give back in reciprocity. And after a year and a half of meditation, all of a sudden I had a vision of a woman's face as clear as a bell. And I said to my soul, is that who I'm going to spend my life with? And the answer was yes. And I said, when will I meet her? And the answer was soon. The next workshop, I was at the Gold Coast of Australia between workshops, the next workshop as I was setting the slide projector screen up, I felt somebody walk in the room. I turned and I saw Penny and it was exactly who had appeared to me in my dreams. And every acupuncture meridian in my body lit up like a Christmas tree. And I was so stunned. I, I literally, it, I couldn't speak for about five minutes. I couldn't talk. The punchline is we were together for four days. We got engaged and we recently had our 25th anniversary. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, it's, I mean, and, and to be from a standpoint where you get to receive the bounties of that and continue to develop that in life. And if for some reason, you know, I'm sure with previous relationships, this was the case. And for some reason it does end that both of those are blessings that you love. A stranger, yeah, oh yeah. You love your God. You love, a, you love your neighbor and you love even your enemy. So-called enemy, 
because all of it's being created for our connection, our communion, and it's all being positioned for our benefit. You know, even the most difficult things in our lives. And that's not some new age tripe. That is, that is an actual ability to do that. And only when we fall off the wagon and we think, I can design a perfect life where I get only the pleasurable things and get rid of all the other. I have the perfect person yeah. and get rid of them. That's the devil talking, you know. And that, you know, the devil is not a nefarious creature either. It's simply the tempter from below that says, and that calls to the higher. You know, even within us, when they have the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other, that's basically what it's about. We're twofold nature. We're amazing creatures. We have the, the body and the lower mind meeting that higher mind. And sometimes the lower mind is winning, right? And sometimes a higher mind. But ideally, and this is true of economy as well as relationship, ideally, the two can come together like this. And when that happens, then a miracle has happened. A lasting miracle. You know that the whole purpose of that dichotomy was only to join and to feel completely filled up like you were in that example you just gave. You know, you fasted for a while. <laughs> you waited for that subtle, cleared your body to let that subtle energy come in and inform you in very clear terms and then responded to it when it happened. And that that's beautiful. Uh, it's so funny, you know, because we've talked about the devil several times. And, and I'm a practitioner and teacher of tarot, which I know you must be very familiar with. I want to show you, I do a six card draw every day that takes my day and breaks it into six segments so I can see what energies I'm going to be working with. Want to see the two cards for our conversation sure. today? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Here we go. Excellent. Ace of swords, new ideas. And the devil, freeing yourself from self-created bondage. Yeah, that's excellent. <laughs> that's that pretty that much, right? that's a summary of our entire three-hour conversation. Isn't that yeah. right? You know, Zeus, thank you so much. Um, we There's so much I could talk to you about. In the future, I'd love to, to talk to you, get some more concepts, anything that you want to share you think is important. Um, we can work together. Um, I'm, I'm just excited to be able to share you, your wisdom, and everything we've talked about today, I think is critical. So it's been, I don't know about you, but this three hours went by very quickly for oh, me absolutely. because I, you know, it's, 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 this is the kind of conversation that, that, that my whole purpose of the podcast is. This is what I want to share with the world. And this is what for me is meaningful and gives me a sense of doing what I came here to do and, and getting to share you and people like you that are doing what they love to do to inspire people to do the same. So um, I, I just want to say thank you for being you and doing what you do. Um, would, would you like to share where, uh, if there's anything more, or if you want to repeat where people can find you and do you offer any services? I do. To I people? offer counseling, um, life counseling, educational counseling, um, performance counseling. I've uh, done very good at helping people understand what their theme is, their theme in life, you know, yes, that, that, and how to, how to develop it. From my educational background, how to develop and custom develop their own plan to bring that forward. And I've had some real success with that. So you can actually, uh, you can get a hold of me through that counseling service at Zeus, Z-E-U-S, at ask 
drzeus.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-Z-E-U-S.com. My number is 310-994-7808. That's on both of my websites. And if you're interested in some of the ideas we've talked about and my angle on that, you can go to my other website. It's more of an activist kind of ideas website called citizenzeus.com. Citizen plus my name, Z-E-U-S.com. And or my Substack. I have a Substack where I have my essays. And that is Substack.CitizenZeus, I think. Just put CitizenZeus Substack into a search engine and you'll you'll come up with it. Great. And um, I also highly encourage everybody. Do you remember the name of the show you did where you talked about finances with Regina? The last one, I think it had to do something like the spiritual economy or the spiritual aspects of economy, something along those lines. And I and, and if they're interested in what you just said too, a, a lot of the Harari stuff, Regina and I just did an interview together for her site at reginameredith.com. And that was on it was called Man versus Machine, Are We Being Programmed? So that might be an interesting one for your audience. And we also have something called our neighborhood.earth, which is a kind of alternative Facebook community of high frequency people that come together. It's a small charge for that, but they might want to check that out as well. Our neighborhood.earth. Okay, um, I'm going to check out your man versus machine, and uh, I'll I'll look into that as well. Someday I'd love to have Regina on this podcast as well. I think that'd be a mind blowing experience for everybody. So maybe Great Spirit will make that happen. But thank you, Zeus. Thank you, Paul. I, I I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, anytime I see your name pop up on Gaia, I'm going to be right on top of it. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to read more of your articles and uh, I look forward to doing another podcast with you and I'll let you know when this one comes out. So thank you to the sponsors for your love, support and sustainable practices and excellent products. Thank you to all of you for listening. If you've made it this far, you know that this is as important as I think it is. And thank you for sharing the episode. And I really look forward to sharing lots of love with you in our next episode. I'll see you (laughs) then. Be well. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Zeus Yamianis. You can join the Citizen Zeus community at citizenzeus.com. That's C-I-T-I-Z-E-N-Z-E-U-S.com. You can find Zeus's book, Transforming Economy from Corrupted Capitalism to Connected Communities at transformingeconomy.com or for Kindle and print versions visit amazon.com follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check on Twitter at paulcheck or on his YouTube podcast channel youtube.com forward slash living4d with paulcheck watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to check videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site chekiva.com You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.